Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is September the 21st of 2022. That's right. It's 2120. I, I thought there was a number thing there, but it's not really. It's just the 21st day of a month and I, the 22nd. It's, it's not great. I'm surprised that there was uh, a moment of hesitation on your end uh, to not go with the obvious joke. Uh, that it's the 21st of September. Yeah. Nothing the blue talking doves. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. yeah. I do remember that. Yes. But, uh, had... I'm not Quinn. I'm not cool enough to make that reference. Okay. So, <laughs> um, I, 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 you, I don't think you need to be cool because I've had, uh, multiple people at this point. Let me know exactly. Uh, like I think four different friend groups have done this joke with me. None of them are cooler than you. So I would take pride in that uh, and make all the Earth, Wind, and Fire references you'd like. Maybe it's just that I'm just the right amount of cool to realize I'm not cool enough to make the reference. That's the ticket, where you realize it's hack at this point, so you're not going to do it. Um, But in the same way that, like, once May comes around, you're like, I gotta post a Justin Timberlake, it's gonna be May gif, like, I have to do it. You're like, no, you don't have to. I do not have to do that. We've done that. It can go away now, you know? It doesn't have to be cultural cachet niche for the rest of our lives, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, it, we're, we're past it, and uh, the great news is that uh, unlike that song, uh, September is a good enough song that I'll just listen to the song and enjoy it that way. It's a so, song. solid song. It's can't, a can't very good song. Uh, yeah, so um, we do have a lot of manga to talk about today. So It I feels like we have we'll... so much. Like, I... Oh my god! Like I don't know. As I look at this list, I feel like there's probably been more weeks, but you're just like, Jesus! Feels like everything is here this week. I think that it just has to do with we know that there are certain things that are going to prompt discussions, and so we have to be prepared for that, and we have to give ourselves a little bit of breathing room. So I think that we're just gonna kick this off, and we're gonna talk about My Hero Academia to begin the recap portion. Weekly manga recap is chapter number three hundred and sixty-six, Full Moon. Which is a very, uh, you know, poetic sounding title. Uh, it is not what you think it is, unless you've already read the chapter, in which case you know what it is. Uh, we get some narration to begin with, just to remind you, is like, by the way, Shigaraki doesn't have doesn't have access to his quirk right now, but his body is really, really weird because he doesn't have a quirk right now. Uh, and it's just morphing, growing heads now, growing fingers and heads. And uh, there is... Apparently, he can't heal the damage he's been accumulating because he doesn't have regenerative powers, which hasn't stopped him from tanking giant laser blasts and punches from people who can break concrete with their bare fists, a swarm of explosions. He doesn't have regenerative powers. He's fine. Yeah, he doesn't need those anymore. He's too tough. Uh, however, uh, his body continues to morph anyway, and uh, now he's got hand armor, uh, which um, I also think looks kind of cool. Uh, it's, I have to say. It's an aesthetic. I don't hate it, but it certainly is something where I'm like, this is a visual, and I'll appreciate it for that. 
There's there's been talk before about like how Horikoshi like he, he, Horikoshi himself has said like hands are like mm-hmm. one of the most important things for me to draw, and there's got to be moments like this where he's just like, hey, fucking, I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> I'm just gonna draw like a hundred more hands, nonstop hands. How does he have more hands? Mirko tries to finish off Shigaraki, uh, who just uppercuts her away. Uh, and um, I, it's it, well, once again became kind of difficult for me to tell what was going on because everything starts to blur with the force of stuff that gets punched. Uh-huh. Uh, Sun Eater then goes, "Oh no!" and also gets punched. <laughs> there, there's just a big moment of like, "Oh, this is where I die," and then he gets punched. Uh, Nedure tries to lash out with her wave things, uh, and she doesn't get punched, but she does get rocks thrown at her or punched into her or something like that, which basically just leaves Mirio and Best Genus uh, in any shape to fight Shigaraki. Uh, and Mirio, of course, is like he's very difficult to hit because he can just turn intangible. Uh, Shigaraki uh, goes after Best Genus, who is trying to protect Bakugo. Uh, Lots of cables come out, um, and um, stuff happens. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's physical action that occurs and progresses the narrative in some way. Our characters were in one location, a panel happens, they were in a different location, and what happens I, in between there is a mystery for you to figure out. It's a little. Gay. I believe, I believe that Shigaraki charges towards Mirio and Best Genius is behind him. He goes through Mirio because he turns intangible and then keeps on stamping towards Best Genius. So Mirio is unharmed, but he's realizing that there's nothing that he can do. And he starts to despair because he's like, I, I can't do anything. All my friends are getting hurt. Uh, Mirko's in a tree. Uh, that's what she ended up. And he just thinks to himself, you know, when Night Eye died, he used his prediction thing and he realized that, oh, Mirio, you're going to make a fine hero. And Mirio just thinks to himself, is this the future that you saw? Like, you know, and the, he's just feeling bad. But then Mandalay, uh, the communication, uh, uh, is it Meow Meow Pussycat? Is that it that they that they that they're called? No, I think Wild Wild Pussycat, not Meow Meow Pussycat. Wild Wild Pussycat. That's say, what their group like, is called. What is it? I was trying to remember their group name. So Mandalay, uh, the communications one, calls out to everyone, "Hey, drop the electromagnetic barrier around the around the prison for two seconds, and keep them busy for those two seconds." And both Best Genius and Miria are like, "Wait, what's going on? What what, what is this?" Uh, Especially because you know Shigaraki is so absurdly powerful. It's like what he could get out. How were we supposed to do to keep him in here? Mirio just starts to have a breakdown. He's he's like realizing that there's nothing he can do. But in a flash, he realizes, okay, I need to do something to just keep his attention on me, so that he doesn't go outside of the barrier when it's down. But what? What do I have? And he thinks about Sir Nidai and the important lessons that Nidai taught him. How a world without smiles and humor has no purpose. And so he moons Shigaraki while shouting out, Full moon rising tonight! Because it's a callback from that one time he mooned the class through a bush. Uh, that it is. 
So he does that. And while Shigaraki is just standing in, I assume, slack jawed, but we can't see his mouth because of all the hands around him. Well, we do see Uh, he has a little like, like he did, he did chuck a little bit. Yeah. He's like, butts are funny. I don't know what to say. They're they're the classic. They never, timeless, timeless. Yeah. Which means one of two things. Either the immature teenager Shigaraki is still partially there, or All For One has a very butt-focused sense of humor that and has he, been heretofore unexplored. He feels like he would, I'll be honest. It feels like he'd have a lot of butt jokes and he'd do a lot of butt things. You're just like, alright, man. like You're like 70 or whatever, or 190. <laughs> I don't know how old you are, actually, but... <laughs> You seem like you're too old to be doing this much butt-related humor. <laughs> oh, boy. Yep. Um. Oh, come on! I'm hip, as they say. It's, 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 it's close to the butt. See, hip, hip. Check out me in these jeggings. You're like, that's not really... I mean, that's like a perfectly not, valid fashion choice. If you just want to fine. show off your butt, just do it. I don't yeah. care. And it doesn't really, I mean, like, if you're trying to show off how fit you are, you are, like, some sort of weird, magical superpower being, so it doesn't really count. So. Also, you can collect quirks that just give you probably a shapely bottom. I assume... That That's right! I've stolen at least six of them! Just for the butt they gave me! Just for the butt-lifting quirks they have. <laughs> a bunch of people despairing around the world looking at their newly flat asses. Ah! <laughs> I used to have the perfect ass. Why didn't he kill me? (laughs) Anyway, Deku's here. Uh, Deku shows up in fucking like clothesline from hell's uh, Shigaraki. We can't we can't turn away at that. He literally fucking like slingshots his way at buckshot lariats him. He there is a moment where he just he sets himself up with black whips to just slingshot himself forward. There is a split segment where we just get a big two page spread of the two of them seeing each other. And then just the follow through of this ridiculous high speed attack that Deku uh, has smashed into Shigaraki with. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool entrance. It's a cool moment. Uh, and it's nice. It was like, all right, cool. It's not just going to be a bunch of everyone just being like, Oh God, he's killing us. But it'll be like, all right, cool. Deku's here. The fight, the fight that is happening here could actually start now. What, how did you feel about this chapter, Nick? This, this is a controversial chapter. Cause some people yeah. are like, I don't like the butt. <laughs> no butt. I don't have negative feelings about it. But I also don't have positive feelings about it. It sort of happened, and it took me off guard. And then Deku showed up. Which, I guess I very heavily relate to Shigaraki in this moment of just like, I'm in the middle of something really intense. Wait, what is happening? Why is this boy showing me his ass? What is happening right now? Oh, I've been hit. So, Ouch, my neck. Yeah. <laughs> um. But he also found uh, Mirio's butt uh, funnier than I did, so I guess I don't entirely relate to him. So, hmm. so I, I actually I, I found it mildly amusing. I dug it. I I honestly wish they had gone even further with it because obviously, like the crux of the chapter is like the big two page spread afterwards, followed up by another two page spread, followed up by a, and this is gonna surprise you a third two page spread centered around Deku and Shigaraki running into each other again. I wish we had gotten like a like almost like a page and a like a second full page 
of the butt shot and then a Shigaraki like reaction face. Like I, I know it's like a weird thing to, to compare. Like I wish they'd been sillier with it even because like those are like iconic moments in series. Like you're not going to forget the first time and they were trying to shock Luffy and he realizes he can't hurt him and just like that silly kind of moment. Like that's also One Piece's humor a little bit. But like this is a moment here where I was like, I think we could have gone even higher and even wackier with this. A little yeah, bit. we could have had a reverse harem no jutsu moment. Yeah, that was great. That was a, that was a that cool was scene with a good, good moment. moment. Yeah, good moment. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, <laughs> it was we'll funny th- that it was funny that that last minute villain introduction that we had. We will always know. Kaguya was into the boy love. She like, she, 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 <laughs> one of like two things we know about her personality. Little, she was a little thirsty, yeah. Uh, <laughs> luckily, that's the last time we'll ever have to insult anything that uh, Kishimoto has ever worked on. Oh, <laughs> all right. So, before we get to that, let's cut over to Undead Unluck number 127, Luna and Sun. And uh, the sun is a bean covered in exploding boils of lava that is just moving about and andy's like what the like f- he just got out of bed too yeah. just like, <laughs> and he's just like what the fuck are we supposed to do about this <laughs> and there's just like this explosion there's just, and it's it's this magnitude that we see like you could feel it across the globe like uh, fucking fuko down in a chamber is feeling she's like has god launched her attack and I, luna is just like they're not attacking they simply stood up and you're like jesus <laughs> it's, it's a cool moment yeah fuko uses opportunity to be like so what the fuck are you to luna and it's <laughs> like i am god my name is luna and i am the other god who created this world and fuko's of course like wait the other god they're two gods then the one on the surface is yeah that's the sun they made the umas determined the rules and create everything in this world they're also a god uh and we cut back to that as there are uh a bunch of like umas we can see i think we see burn and then two other umas i've not seen before uh kind of moving out of the way of uh sun just stomping their foot and he's like all right well we're gonna scout to do this then but then Chikara shows up and is like, no, I'm going to use on move and stops, you know, uh, the sun. Just like, there we go. Yeah. Ten minutes. That's all. We're all right. Yeah. Chikara can do it. Good job, buddy. Chikara's got this handled. So the chapter ends. Everybody's doing good. Actually, wait, no. And we're just kind of like sitting around looking at their phones. <laughs> One of the boils on the sun pops and there's an explosion. And Juez just shouts, Billy, the operation continues as planned. And Andy's like, huh? And they say Chakar. And we see, we don't know what, but something has shot, like a cannonball has shot basically, presumably across the world and just ripped off Chakar's one side. Like, it just covers like the arm and a bit of the chest, but it's gone. Like, it's off in the space right there. Uh, and Luna just says, uh, "Put that, put on, put that on the bleach tribute counter, please, because yeah, that's <laughs> that's a pretty crazy one." And Luna just says, "This is a game between them and myself, the sun and the moon, to see whose vision the world will shape itself into." Yeah, it seems like we're gonna gonna get a little bit of very important lore coming up uh, to kind of like reestablish the stakes uh, as we move into the. 
uh, well, final part of the story. And wouldn't you know it, it's the Elmist and Krayak. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just going to limit down all the people that can uh, get that reference to people who read Scholastic books in the 90s. All right. <laughs> Uh, this is a really cool chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Now we have several really exciting uh, monthly series to talk about. However, we do go alphabetically, so we have to start with Bart. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's right. the sound they need to give a horror monster in a, in like a movie. Like, <laughs> okay, Boruto chapter number seventy-three, a special mission. First off, what is wrong with Serata in this picture? Like, I, it, it, what is going on with her? This is everything. A bad aesthetic, just a bad visual. Like, this is a lot of weird color choices. Uh, this is just a lot of strangeness in one image. Uh, so. I don't. I don't. I don't know if she's going. For, she was going for something avant garde. I think she missed her mark, unfortunately. All right. So, I'm going to summarize the first seven, eight, nine, uh, ten pages of this chapter. Thusly, Shikamaru meets with Kodohamaru and Team Seven and Sumire, who is also there. She's the most important member of their peer group, basically. Like, can you think of a single kid their age that is more important than her that is not in their group? Sure. (laughs) Technically, yeah. I mean, she is probably more important than even Mitsuki is at this point, to be honest. But it is just like, but why is she here if she's not relevant to these conversations? There is no indication of it. Uh, she is there with Kawaki when main Team 7 shows up. So maybe she's just still with him because she's been looking after him while he's been in like bed rest, basically. So they all go to meet with them. And Shikamaru explains things to them that we, the audience, already know about the situation that they're in uh, regarding Ada and Amato and Code and what Ada's abilities are, what she is after, the fact that she's mad at Code and has cut ties with him, and she's on her way to Konoha along with Amato. Uh, and um, they, the kids are just like, okay, so alright, so I guess, I guess we should like take down Ada, right? And Shikamaru says, no. And then we cut away just to let everyone know again, by the way, Ada and Amato are on their way to Konoha, they're riding a train, like just a a train. So yeah, they'll get there. Those exist. <laughs> it's I good mean, that they have built for transportation. Yeah, we, we we've established that like video game consoles exist. So yeah, they gotta have trains at this point. Yeah. Uh, on page sixteen, Boruto says, "Tell us what our mission is." <laughs> so now we're finally getting into new stuff. A third of the way into this chapter. <laughs> And so Shikamaru then establishes blah, 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 blah. Code and Ada are mad at each other. She's on her way here. Why? Okay, here are Ada's abilities. I was generous when I said that they t- that they spent the first 10 pages telling us stuff. It's the first half of the chapter doing nothing new. Just recapping what we've already learned in this, like, either you're reading this in a volume format, in which case all this information is directly in front of you, 
or you're reading this month to month like we are. And this has been the only thing that's happened. Like, it's I don't know why we feel the need to, like, recap every little bit of information. Like, why couldn't Naruto or Boruto and friends been like there at the start? He's like, so that's the 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 long and short of it or whatever. And then here here's this. Do you think that Kishimoto doesn't want to write anymore? But <laughs> like, what the fuck? It, it, it's okay if you don't want to write, dude. You had someone else doing the writing before. <laughs> it is almost amusing. You're like, I guess, like, with the way he writes certain characters, too, it's like, sure, man. Like, he made Ada, who's a character who's like, I'm privy for every, I'm privy to every conversation that's ever happened, ever. So I can learn everything and you don't have to like I, it's already a written reason for why i understand the stakes of everything that's currently going on and i guess showing us that she's seen that conversation like it feels like he had a shorthand and then he made it longhand like he, he had a code and then he was like but i should really explain the code to everybody like i mean this is this is the reason that everyone hated endless eight when it did when it happened with haruhi <laughs> like it was like no 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 you'll sit through the same conversation eight times <laughs> nothing will be accomplished someone might say a different pronoun this time or <laughs> yeah they'll use an article they didn't do that's how you know things are crazy the girls will be drawn in different swimsuits maybe this time that was i believe actually a reason that some people like that anyway so uh Kotohamaru now speaks up and says, okay, you guys are all going to cohabitate. And they're like, what do you mean? And Kotohamaru's like, like, yeah. I signed uh, you up for Ninja Brig Brother. Yeah, it's a really weird way of putting it. He's like, this isn't going to be some ultra fun Team 7 boarding house. The only co ones cohabiting will be Boruto, Kawaki, and Ada. And it's like, okay. Well, it's... Are you, so are... <laughs> I just, I feel like Kishimoto has at no point ever thought through the implications of anything he's ever written. Because there is, the first time you hear this, you're like, am I reading Blue Box? Like, am I reading some kind of, like, there's no way to not be like, oh, so like, the ninja mission this time is to keep Kawaki and Ada from fucking or something like that. Like, what? Like, wh why are we doing this? Uh... Everyone's like, what the hell is going on? Ada can see the entire conversation, so we occasionally cut to her for reactions, which is the only thing remotely interesting about this entire chapter is her just, you know, like, out of context while Amato was sitting next to her, going like, oh, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I can't tell what you're seeing. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, that Serata says, like, oh, I get it. So we're doing this to actually surveil Ada by giving her what she wants while we watch her. And Shimara's like, yes, basically, like, we know all this stuff that Ada is capable of, but we can't do anything against her currently. And our, our usual methods of monitoring Ada would just get compromised anyway, because the watchers would voluntarily do things that are favorable to her, even if Ada herself didn't deliberately try anything. So. Yeah, Boruto and Kawaki are going to fill those roles because they're immune to Ada's powers. Uh, and then, at the very least, we can figure out if she's actually willing to cooperate with us. Um, so, Kawaki says, what did I do to earn this? And it feels like it would have been a great uh, part, part for Shikamaru to go, you killed the Hokages. <laughs> 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 um... 
so he says like look we don't have a lot of ideas and i've got a feeling that ada will be fine with this because ada's got a crush on you kawaki and everyone's like what the fuck is going on <laughs> ada it's it <laughs> reacts by like it's blushing supposed to be like kind of like a fuck island like it's just like, it hey, does we're gonna have this house and these two she likes him he's kind of moody we put a third boy in there just to keep it kind of wacky just to have also, a bit of a love triangle going probably gonna be there or he's gonna be stuffed in a box who knows we don't address him in this chapter and there's gonna be people watching all the time you're like it's a reality dating show. it is like, a reality you're, you're... show <laughs> uh ada ada's heart starts to doki doki uh and uh, so that's going on uh shigamaru's like yeah so kawaki you're the reason Ada's coming here is that she thinks you're cute. Uh, and um, so Boruto says, I mean, but why go after Kawaki? Which is kind of a burn, like low key. Like, All right, but she could literally have anyone. Why this loser with his stupid hair? <laughs> Look at him, this big dope with his dumb haircut and his stupid face tattoo. I'm like, All right, fuck you, Boruto. <laughs> Uh, Sumire proves that she is indeed a more valuable asset to this series than Mitsuki because she brings up the actual observation in this, which is, oh, I get it. If everyone falls in love with her, then it is going to be immediately suspicious of her. I bet she probably actually wants to have a legitimate relationship with someone. And Kawaki is like the only person she could experience that with. So that's what she so that's why she's kind of romantic over it. Uh, and Kawaki's like, maybe she's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> The best moment in the chapter is Kawaki just like, I don't know, maybe she's just dumb. <laughs> and now, after all of this, where they have flat out said, by the way, guys, this is our plan to monitor Ada. By the way, she can see and hear everything that ever happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that really feels like you should have opened up this conversation with that. Because that's the follow-up of being like, by the way, you probably shouldn't say that because she could see and hear anything. You're like, what if this conversation hadn't been pleasant? What if just one member of the team had been like, oh, so we'll have her in a house. That's like the perfect time. Just like, I don't know, like gas her room or something like that. Or I don't know, like, like do a ninja thing to get rid of her. And just like, oh, well, that just fucking ruined everything. Because I buried the lead on the fact that she's privy to all conversations that ever happened anywhere ever. <sighs> so... Everyone's like, wait, on top of being able to just make anyone fall in love with her, she can also see and hear everything ever. That's kind of broken as shit. And Shigaru's like, yes, and you should consider the entire conversation we've just had to be leaked information. So the diplomatic maneuvering has already begun, right, Ada? Oh, it's cool because he's speaking directly to her even though she's not there. It's not... It's... It, it doesn't flow very well into this moment and it's set up in a really clumsy way. So I, I, I really more, wish that I could like this moment, but it's just not executed very well. It's more interesting, <sighs> I guess, than anything else that happens in the chapter in terms of actual execution. So, yeah. <sighs> so they try, they, they, he talks with Kawaki for a little bit. Uh, then uh, Konohamaru says to Boruto, hey, by the way, you're not just going to monitor Ada. You're also there to mediate between Kawaki and Ada. Don't let them fuck. He's a minor. Uh, yeah, so. Um, so they, they, they say that. 
Uh, and they say, remember, if the two of them don't get along, that could mean that Konoha's future is in peril. And Bart is like, uh, okay. Uh, and then, but then Shikamaru says, that's the attitude you should have. Got it. And then Boruto makes a weird face and says, this mission is annoying. Like, are, what, because you have to play babysitter? I mean, it makes sense in that this mission's dumb from a fucking Boruto perspective, like a ninja series perspective. You're like, I don't know, we gotta, like, pretend to live in a house together and, like, <laughs> suss out her true motivation. It's just like, I don't know, man. Like, God. it's just like this dopey premise. It is very weird. Uh, it also, despite the fact that they just established the stakes there, it's it can't help but feel incredibly low stakes, too. It's yeah, they're like, this is crazy high. But like, we all know we're just waiting for code to show up. Like, that's the whole yeah, like... pretty much. Um, And uh, they also say, OK, and the rest of Team 7 will basically be watching the three of them from outside and sending in status reports. So this is why this is a Team 7 mission as opposed to just a Boruto Aquaki mission. Also, Samira is there. Again, I don't know why she's there, but she is! She's apparently part of this, because uh, she is there, and there's a big group shot, because Shikamaru's like, will you do this or not? And Boruto's like, the edge is obvious, since it doesn't seem like we have an option to say no. And, like, all five of them are posing together. It's like, Samira's not a ninja. She's just, she's just, like, there. <laughs> She's like, I'm just here for a fun time. Not a long time, but a good time. Uh, Sasuke and Naruto are aware of the mission. They talk a bit about it. Naruto refers to the plan as a, quote, very Shikamaru-like ploy, which I have to vehemently disagree with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Then uh, everyone's like, "Uh, okay, remember your roles. And then Kawaki suddenly reacts uh, and because he sees, uh, he gets the feeling of uh, uh, of Otsutsuki coming out of Boruto, and then Bunny kind of looks at him. Uh, and apparently, Sasuke sensed something too, uh, and he flashes back to encountering an Otsutsuki and being like, "This feeling is similar to that day. I wonder." Ooh. Oh, so oh man, I hope that the plan to put Ada in a house. And while she fawns over Kawaki and watch her and see what she does, doesn't get complicated by the arrival of the plot. <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a lot of like mysterious There's... things kind of going on. You got to deal with it. This is like fun. You know, it's like it's wacky. There's all sorts of stuff going on. This is going to be a fun time. It's just, just sit back. It's going to be fun. You're going to have a good time. <sighs> I just... There wasn't enough stupid stuff in this chapter to like be entertaining. So now I'm just kind of like, God, this series is bad. It's it's just bad now. Yeah, and, uh, and it makes me bad, sad to say that. Yeah, no, I mean that's 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 ultimately the situation we're in. Is just like, yeah, this was just kind of a dopey chapter. Like I understand, like on a surface level, how this premise makes sense, but like it just doesn't sound very exciting and it just feels like something we're gonna do in between like I feel like they're never going to get into like the ethical complications that is Ada to some extent. Like it doesn't feel like the question is like, hey, we need to find like she has a power that can control the whole world. We need to find out if she's somebody who's we just need to take down or something like i feel like they're never going to get into those sorts of questions this is just going to be like oh does she fall in love with kawaki and then it's like i don't know man 
Maybe they'll do something dramatic where she like starts to fall in love with them, but then she dies. Code kills her or something like that. And it's like a tragic romance. You're like, I don't give a shit about any of this. No. All right. Kaiju number eight. Kaiju number eight. So uh, a cataclysm was going to start up last time, but we don't begin quite on that note. We begin with um, a wedding is happening. Toku from the uh, Kaiju Cleanup Brigade, uh, his his daughter's getting married. Aww. Aww. Uh and he's all he's all nervous because like, oh, my daughter's getting married, and I'm, and I'm wearing a suit, and I feel out of place and stuff. Uh, the uh, bride uh, arrives, uh, and uh, she's you know, in the reception hall, and uh, you know people are like trying to be encouraging to him and say like, "Hey, come on, you've you've you know you did a really good job raising her all by yourself, and this is the start of her new life. Give her a proper send off." Uh, Toku approaches his daughter, whose name is Chieko, and uh, he's so nervous that she steps on his foot with her heel uh, because she's like, "Stop being more nervous than I am. Come on, get your act together." <laughs> Uh, so Toka gets set to walk Chieko down the aisle and uh, as the doors are getting set to open so that they can go into the reception hall uh, she just says hey Thad thanks for everything and there's a hall full of people people on both sides of the aisle are happy to see her uh, they're applauding which um, I don't know I don't think that's uh, maybe no. that's a thing in japan but it's like applauding when the bride shows up seems a little bit strange to hey, me you know but... what maybe it was like a real banger song going on like it was just like uh fucking oh who did that song uh damn i i had a good reference and i completely lost it because i couldn't remember it uh it was like a fucking nerd though anyways just imagine a okay playing <laughs> and they're just like Woo! backstreet's back we'll go with that backstreet back backstreet's back's playing and they're just like wow i love this song and it just reminds me of that with those weird Google commercials that have been using that song lately and how like all the kids apparently don't know the song, but also love it. It's very strange to me. Kevin, anyway, Kevin Rudolph, uh, that's who I was thinking. Let it rock by Kevin Rudolph, by the way. That was. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. OK. They were like, I uh, haven't heard this song in forever. Woo! Yeah, this guy's career didn't really take off very high. Anyway, a kaiju's here. Oh, you're not part of the Rudolph movement. Removement? Sure. Whatever whatever those words were. <laughs> uh anyway, Akaiju is also very excited to be at the ceremony. <laughs> like it I mean, a horrible hey tragedy so quickly. Is that Kevin Rudolph? <laughs> He's pressing against the window of Oh <laughs> Can I come in? It looks like you guys are having fun. Uh oh, and I then always cry at a wedding. <laughs> His tears are missiles, destroying the city. Yeah, so uh, there's a brief, slightly, slightly silly uh, visual, and then oh, it goes through the window into the hall where all those people are, and uh, then we cut from there to the crisis communication center where a whole ton of kaiju alerts all from all over Tokyo come in all at once, and we start to cut around and see. Kaiju just emerging and and wrecking shit. There is like this massive swarm of what look like are identical kaiju all tearing up some rail lines. Uh, these kind of pangolin looking ones rampaging through another district. These 
giant cricket looking ones uh going up um a, a tower i'm not sure if it i don't know what tower it is i don't know tokyo landmarks uh anyway um and uh, basically, the crisis control center, uh, response center is completely overwhelmed all at once uh, because they're like, "Well, crap! We can't we can't respond to all of these calls. What do we do?" Then we cut back to the side of the wedding, and uh, things are not great. Uh, Toku is carrying uh, the groom Daiki on his back, uh, and he's you know shouting to him like, "Hey, come on, kid, hang in there. We're gonna get you patched up." Don't leave Chieko alone uh, while, you know, he leads the crowd to try and get to safety. Uh, and uh, as they're about to go down some stairs to the basement, uh, the kaiju bursts through the wall, uh, sending people flying. Uh, and uh, Toku is still okay, but Chieko uh, is right in front of the kaiju and it steps on her legs to prevent her from getting away and then looms over her. Uh, so Toku, in a desperate attempt to save his daughter, bites into his own wrist to cause himself to bleed, starts spilling blood everywhere, and tries to get the, the kaiju's attention. It's like, hey, come on, you, you can smell the blood. Come and eat me, eat me. Uh, and the kaiju, without uh, responding in any way, shape, or form, just takes Jaco into its mouth. Uh, it's so sudden that it's it's kind of shocking, honestly. Uh, and Toku starts to despair. He keeps calling out, no, no! As the kaiju kind of lifts up to swallow Chieko whole and gets its head chopped off. As uh, Narumi arrives in the nick of time to, uh, to save her, uh, like it looks like her body falls through the coat open jaw of the kaiju, which is pretty great. Uh, so it's okay, guys. the 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 bride is not among the casualties after it was after be pretty brutal to spend like five like like most of the chapter being like, all right, these guys seem fine. I I kind of dig them, and then just be like, she's <clears throat> dead. Yeah, I mean, like uh, because you know we know who you know Toku is because we've seen him a few times. It it's he really does pay dividends in this chapter because you can empathy very much empathize through him as to what's going on. And so it's like, Oh, Oh, thank God. Narumi's here. Sure. Wait, <laughs> do I feel that? Did I feel that? <laughs> this was definitely a character. I recognize and acknowledge. It's a, one of uh Kapka's friends from the cleanup place. Sure. Sorry. I believe you. I don't remember him, but sure. <laughs> Uh, Narumi gets in communications with Ashiro saying, hey, I assume you've got your area under control. And Ashiro's like, stop saying stupid stuff. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so Narumi slicks his hair back and he's like, all right, let's go. Japanese defense force roll out and transform because I can't I can't see a commander saying those words and not think of transformers. Yeah. It's like, come on. But uh, yeah, heroes are coming to take on the kaiju. Uh, that's yeah. what we got coming. Cool beans. Looks like we're going to get some cool stuff. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's wrap Spy up. Bye, family. I say wrap up. Wrap up before we get to Eden Zero. The monthly like stuff. 14 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we get a brief scene of you're on a mission at the start of Mission 68 of Spy Family. 
uh, attacking steel gut Gullickson, who has this bizarre solid steel girdle with a bear's face on it, and he's bragging about how, like, I've got a girdle of solid steel! And Yor does this double palm strike into his steel gut and sends him flying off the dock into the ocean. So, that went well for her, but uh, she hurt her wrists doing the move. I do love so, that that is the entire setup premise to this. Like It was just like, I'm a man who has a steel girdle on my belly. Alright, well, let me palm strike you into the water. My relevance is done. Goodbye. <laughs> there needed to be an excuse for your to have an ouchie in this chapter. And this is our excuse. Here we go. Uh, and, you know, she makes up an excuse when she gets home saying that a fire door just slammed on her hands uh, the previous day. Uh, Anya reads her mind and knows the truth. And so yours is like, OK, I guess I just I just need to, you know, rest on my hands and they should get better. Yuri's there. Oh, good. Yuri's, 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 Yuri's here. Everyone mm. loves Yuri, Nick. He's like the Everyone breakout character of the series. Haven't you seen all the Yuri memes and all the Yuri cosplay? Yeah, everyone loves Yuri. Yeah, I watched. I watched the. Uh, I've watched the Spy Family anime with Nicole, and uh, she was like, "Yeah, this series is great." And then Yuri shows up, and she's kind of like, "Once we get it, you get into her his deals." Like. Uh, <laughs> again, that's like the one character like, you never like to see. Except for Yuri, is he like a major yeah. character? You're like, no, but he does show up frequently enough that you just accept there are chapters that are mid because of it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Yuri starts berating Lloyd for not doing the cooking while his sister is hurt, and uh, of course, everyone's like, I mean, Lloyd does the cooking normally anyway, man. Uh, while they have a private moment, Yor apologizes to, to Lloyd for this, and, but, and she, but she also says, oh, you always take such good care of me. I can't thank you enough for your kindness. And Yuri hears this, and he's like, oh, no, I, no, I'll do the cooking instead of you. And he cooks and uh, makes a bunch of dishes, uh, and then he's like, I'll feed to you, Yor. And Yor's like, okay, because they're used to this, because they're siblings, and they grew up together. Uh, but as she's eating, she kind of thinks to herself, like, hmm, I can, Yuri's cooking isn't as good as I remember. I don't know if he's lost his touch or if I'm just kind of used to eating stuff that Lloyd cooks now. So Yuri's upset about this. Uh, and then he's like, oh, I'll bet that you're such a pathetic husband that you won't even feed your own wife. If you, if you And Lloyd's like, okay, well, if... I guess we'll do this then. And so he, you know, he gets this very determined look on his face. Like, I, like he's going to like be feeding her like a secret information document. And he's like, you've got to swallow this or we'll go to be found out. Gets this very intense look. Yor gets a bit embarrassed over it because they're being kind of lovey-dovey in this moment. Yuri, of course, loses his nerve. But I do like the moment that it follows after this immediately because instead he's like, you, Chihuahua girl, which is what he calls Anya. I still don't really get it. I don't know. Is it because she's small like a chihuahua? I don't Wasn't know. Wasn't that the, the joke a while ago that she misread what he said as being like like a swole chihuahua or something like that? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, they do the like, here comes the choo-choo and Anya feeds your, and it's like, oh, little cute moment. Yay. Yuri's upset because Lloyd's cooking is better than his. So they have a cleaning up the dishes competition and um yuri uh gets distracted easily and breaks some of the dishes so he's really not helpful uh he keeps on challenging lloyd to doing chores and stuff and lloyd's great at doing all the chores and for some reason he can't beat lloyd at anything it's, I, I it's like, so important 
I love that we get like a, a fucking Sunday morning comic strip moment where he's like, I challenge you to a battle of laundry. And it's just Anya rolling her eyes like, how am I supposed to study with all this noise? Like, if you would just change the panel to a circle, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds like the kind of <laughs> harmless family circle joke that I could accept in a reality. Spy family circus. Yeah. You, you follow the dotted line around so you can see all the corpses that yours killed. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a little bit more going on in family circus circle, but uh, you know, it's it's still it's still like a whole thing. Eventually, Yuri decides. I know this is the final round. We'll see who can buy the best stuff the fastest for the least money in the ultimate shopping duel. Now, this uh, I'll pause here. <laughs> Supermarket Sweep is one of my favorite shows of all time. So, with that on the record, go. This could have actually been kind of funny if this had been, like, the only joke and it had just been, like, just this one thing instead of... And Yuri keeps on losing, you know? But whatever. Yuri goes racing off uh, and, like, is getting really intense and shouting while he's racing out of the apartment and Lloyd just kind of, like, really slowly puts his, his hat on. It's like... All right, see you soon. <laughs> just yeah. casually leaves. So this is where Lloyd is at his best, when he just gets to react to other people being insane. Yeah. Uh, Yuri goes to an informant of his, and it, it, like a, a snitch that contact that he has, and he's like getting really intense while the guy's really nervous, and he's like, tell me where I can buy the cheapest detergent in town. Ah, a funny Yuri joke! Ah, <laughs> it's scary! <laughs> He races back after completing his shopping, gets home. Lloyd has somehow beaten him home, even though clearly Lloyd was taking his sweet time. Well, it's to show he knows the neighborhood, because that's his whole thing. I guess. He, like, he, he, he plans it out when he gets out on the walk. He's like, I'll go yeah. here, go use a general store, there's a discount today. Like, he knows how to, he knows how to do his walk. Yuri is ready to admit defeat uh, and, like, goes down on his knees when he comes in and sees that he's lost. His groceries go spilling out. And so as a result of this, Yor looks down at one of the items that he got and she says, oh, it's whistle candy. I remember this. We would go into the mountains and use these to whistle and scare away bears. And they just kind of reminisce a bit about, you know, the, that nice memory. That strange memory, but that nice memory. That, uh, like, look, I'll say a lot of things about the show. That is a genuinely sweet moment of like. Hey, it's those weird things that like only siblings yeah. who are like kind of close in age and grew up together kind of have of this like, hey, this remember this thing that we have like a, a weird connection to? Like, I don't know, it's kind of sweet. Yeah. So she's like she's really legitimately thankful to him. She's like, I haven't seen these in years. Here he gets emotional. And Lloyd I like that packaging though. The packaging's bad. If they're <laughs> candies, you get eight of them, but it's still like a. It feels like it's like eighty percent plastic around. It's that's awful. It should awful. just be. A, it should just be a tube. The environment is important, and that is wasteful packaging. <laughs> Especially if you're using them to march through the wilderness and yeah. chase away bears. Yeah. You're like, oh, what does it taste like? Like, oh, like a uh, fucking rose water and, and spit. Like, oh. <laughs> Lloyd. Credit to him. Tries to extend an olive branch. Say, oh yeah, it goes to show you. It's going to be a long time before I know you're half as well as her brother does. And of course, Yuri just be like, it's damn right. Fuck you, Lloyd. You'll never love her. I so long, loser. <laughs> runs away. I kind of got a big laugh out of him being like, yeah, suck my nuts, bitch. You always sucked. I rule. And then leaving. Because I would do that. 
Like, I thought it would be the one who's taken, like, 30 L's in a row, and then I get one where I'm like, everybody sucks, but me suck my butt, bitches. And then I just leave. Um, and so there's an awkward moment where Yor is apologizing to Lloyd, and he's like, it's okay. And Anya starts whistling with the whistle candy. Aw. It could. There have been worse Yuri chapters. There have been. I'll, I'll say yeah. this legitimately: if you were to rank all of the Yuri chapters, this would probably be my favorite. I was like, there were a couple of amusing moments from it, and I thought it was genuinely sweet with the whistle candy. All right. Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about Eden Zero, number two hundred eight, dead end, and uh, we get more modeling some clothes that I guess Laguna has designed, or he's just being like a fashionista judging. Who knows? Either way. <laughs> And since it's Laguna doing it instead of Weiss, it's like, ah, maybe they're actually like doing something instead of Weiss just being like, he might actually be giving real critiques to the way the outfit looks and and wears and things like that, as opposed to just being like, could you put on this schoolgirl outfit now or whatever Weiss sounds like? I don't know. I like to have these little scenes where you can imagine that the guy and girl and depicted can have like a real conversation. Yeah, platonic. Be, that's just, yeah. just, nice, just nice to imagine, you know, so. Anyway, Jed gets his Aether Gear back because everything got solved last chapter, so he talks to the robots. For some reason, Moscow has a dramatic sense of like tension in this chapter because he's covered in sweat and he's like, the Aether Gear canceler is back online! We have to get going! Like, it's just like, what is this? Like, I've never known this character to be like this. Is this supposed to be a joke? Is this a reference to something? No. Or is it just it's like... It's just that there's only so many crew members aboard yeah. the Eden Zero, like, so occasionally moscow has got to have a cutaway serious moment, yeah. so... Uh, they're firing up the cannon. We cut back over inside of Dead End Crow when Holy is fighting Hei Lung. Uh, Hei Lung is just like, you know my power, don't you? It's regeneration. He punches fucking Holy in the chest. He's like, yeah. This I doesn't know. make any sense. Why does he Why does he have like world-destroying powers if his power is regeneration? How does he power up a giant kaiju thing if his power is regeneration? Whatever. See, that's an interesting question. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, we just move on straight ahead. Holy uh, is like, are you done with your speed shit? She shoots a bunch of like fucking melt stuff at the core, and she's like, I do know what your power is. You can't regenerate two things at once, and this is meant to be like a big turnabout. But I'm like, we've never met this man before. No one <laughs> knows this about him. We just found out his power two pages ago. <laughs> so. <laughs> Why is this like a turnabout? <sighs> like in a JoJo fight, this is where the fucking theme song would kick in. And you'd be like, no, no, you can't kick it in here. Uh, Long is like, no, I am Crow. And he attaches a bunch of like cables to himself because he's like, I'll use my regeneration power on Crow. If I'm Crow and I'm going to go crazy, I'm, I'm fused. I'm good. I'm evil. I'm blah, 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 blah. Jin shows up. He's like, we have to get out of here. And she's like, no, I, I have to kill him. He's like, no, nah, we got this. Besides, you really don't want to die to this dude. Like that's gonna feel that's gonna be real feels bad when you get to the end. He says, I'm pretty sure ending your life here with him is not what you wanted. To which I say, How do you know? You two did not ever have a conversation prior to being inside this they guy. Fought like, of, <laughs> they fought a lot of robots together, Nick, and the like in a hero universe, that's like that's the tightest bonding you could do. Like, that's more intimate than bleaching each other's assholes at this point. Right? I mean, 
Jin is the male character in the Eden Zero that Holy has had the most interaction with now, which means that they are now one of his romantic couples. Oh, I'm Rose sure by. they're going like, to, <laughs> I, I guarantee they're going to get paired off together because that way she can have a new younger sister as well. And Hero will take a, yes, Hero will take note of that fact and he'll be like, I'm fucking so smart. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> he's looking at himself here. He's like, I am the smartest, coolest person. Anyway. They travel outside. They're like, holy shit, the ether gear is too powerful. Uh, Dead End Crow is like shooting laser blasts all over the place. Uh, Alung is just like, uh, you humans can swim, but you're never a match for the great crow. I would have He goes, you're doomed as soon as you met me. I would erase it all, and then I will restore it to life. And then Eraser shows up. And to continue the gimmick <laughs> that we established last time, he goes, yo, erasing stuff is my job. <laughs> And, and then he just opens a hole. He's basically just like, I can't erase all of Dead End Crow, but I can erase a, a doorway open into his core. The Eden Zero ship fires its big special Starbringer cannon. But you, uh, there's, I guess, what's supposed to be a cool line that Hermit says, where she's like, for us, there are no dead ends. You're like, cool, I guess. Uh <laughs> Cure dies. He just fucking gets erased. His last action is to be like, like his face balloons up and he just fucking dies. And that's it. The dead end crow has been fully completed. We cut over, or fully finished. Uh, we cut over to Ziggy versus Shiki. Uh, Shiki is on the losing end. He's like, no, I tried so hard. How can it be like this? And Ziggy, I guess, like just punches his leg and breaks it or something like that. Sounds like there's a mm-hmm. crunch. So he's like, how could I lose to any, like, any of my past selves? This wouldn't work. You've reached your ends. But then Pino's like, no, don't hurt my master. And uh, she just says, I think this is the moment I was born for. Yeah. Um, I mean, I am worried about Pino, admittedly, because she's like one of. She might be the only character I care if I, I care that anything ha- bad, bad might happen to her at this point. Um, so yeah, that there's that. God, this this whole thing with Dead End Crow and Holy just so weirdly paced, and I don't know if this is a matter of like if it was condensed from how Hero had the idea originally. And it was just crammed into this other arc when it was supposed to be its own thing. But the way it played out just does not have a sense of pacing that you can get any satisfaction out of it. And I really feel like it's just all a blur. Like we covered what feels like three months of storylines in three really rushed chapters, basically. Like, yeah, because... What ultimately this comes down to is just like, well, this wasn't a particularly satisfying character. However, this character is the reason that everything happened. Like, like they, the hero wrote that. Like, that is just apparently the canon until I guess maybe Ziggy's like, hey, long or Kira, that dude fucking sucked. I did everything or something like that. You know, straight up like fucking like, what do you mean you have hollow powers? No, your power was a full. When did I ever say yeah. that? <laughs> No, the numbers go from to nine to zero. Uh, it's just one of those things where you're like, man, what a big payoff that had. <laughs> and a similar thing here where you're just like, 
Like, what's is there a payoff to like? Oh, Curb has manipulated everything, and actually, like Saint Fire Knox was actually like probably a good person who just like led a church of people, and Elsie also shouldn't be a criminal. I don't know. Maybe there'll be massive implications at the end of this. Maybe like the Interstellar Galactica, whatever the fuck is the one that remains of the like police people is going to be like, oh, we really need to reconsider how we've done everything at this point, considering we've we've made our mission to hunt down these people and like one of our own was one of the bad one yeah. of them and then like three of them we just found out are not actually bad people or whatever so i don't know i just want eraser to show up now in every chapter because somebody forces the term erasing into things they're just like oh damn i accidentally wrote the wrong date could you pass me that eraser and he's like i'm the only one who should be doing erasing and then he just deletes their paper to like all right. Well, I guess I will. I guess I won't get my medical insurance this month. Thanks, Eraser. Like, <laughs> oh man, I can't. Oh man, I can't wait for this for this for this competition. The interstellar race is going to be. I'm the one who erases things. It's not what I said. It's not what I said, Eraser. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I slurred the words together. That's on me. I was not saying anything. I was talking about ships that go fast. I was not saying erase erasing things okay i did say erase that you know what what? i'm just gonna that's on me that's on me that's on me i said the e-word i triggered things i shouldn't have (laughs) uh he's like well too late i've already erased your car you're like well that's fair that's fair i knew the rules of this game i should have been playing them all along i guess i'm just going to go and cry because i don't have insurance okay so Let's talk about John Ibanashi, Nick. Let's talk yeah. about something that is... Here's what I'll say. I, I normally would say, like, Akani Banashi, this is going to be the coolest fucking chapter. This is a low-key Akani Banashi chapter. It is. It is. It's a story 30 before being a Rakugoka. Uh, so last time, uh, Shigama and Akane sat down to have a serious conversation about the conversation that uh, Akane had had with Isho Arakawa. And uh, Akane opens the conversation with, I, I really appreciated this move. Just before even going over anything that she went over the show, she just says, do you know why he expelled dad from school? Which is like, Hey, this is important ground to cover because, like, if Shigama had known and was keeping it from her, then that could, you know, change some things. And very quickly, we get no, he did not know for certain. But, you know, Shigama says, Look, I do have an idea because I suppose it's a matter of how he judges Rakugo. He's always been stubborn and selfish and uninterested in anyone else's feelings. But on the other hand, he's always been honest when it comes to Rakugo. But whatever his reason, I don't accept the proclamation he made that day. And, you know, he says, like, look, Akana, I'm sure you know that if you're expelled by your master, that generally means that your career as a Rakugoka is over. But there are people who have been expelled who then get accepted into another school to continue studying. That's not supposed to happen. Uh, some of the people who were kicked out that day entered a different school, and they did become Shinoshi in the end. And Akana kind of perks up, and she's like, so so my dad could have done that. And Shigama says, yeah, he had the option, but Shinta made his choice. And uh, we get a flashback to uh, presumably the day of the competition as uh, Shinta is getting ready to leave, and Shigama says, like, 
that yeah, the decision can't be overturned. But I know there are many masters who would beg you to join them. You've got the option. You could continue being a Rakugoka. And Shinta says in response, please spare me these cur- these hurtful comments. The relationship of master and apprentice is akin to parent and child. Before being a Rakugoka, I wished to be the apprentice of Shiguma Arakawa. I'm sorry that I was unable to live up to your standards. Which is... Very, very sad to me. Um, and, um, you know, we come back from that uh, brief flashback to Akane's reaction to it. And she says, I mean, I don't get it. And I wished he could have kept on being a Rakugoka, even if it was with someone else. I mean, at least that's what I would have said before I started training as your apprentice. But now I think I'm starting to understand how my dad felt. And we get, you know, an image of like Akane as a little kid, uh, you know, begging Shigama to become his apprentice. And then, you know, flashes of all of her new brothers and her times as a kid training with Shigama and stuff. And she says, I'm glad I was able to hear this from you. And that does sound like my dad. I always knew my dad really revered you. And he once told me, I'm going to carry on Shikama's art. And like, this is a big detail that we haven't really been privy to before, but I guess it hasn't ultimately been important because this is not Shinta's story. It's Akane's story. Uh, that like, you know, Shinta revered Shikama. He had all these books about him and stuff. But Akane says, you know, knowing all this, this only makes me more determined. Master, I humbly request that you continue to offer me your guidance and leadership. Um, and uh, that's, that's you know they they both they, they they kind of like renew their their relationship basically with that. Uh, then we jump forward to the next day, uh, and uh, Akane catches up with uh, with Jumbo, and uh, Jumbo's like, "Oh, you you won your Rakugo thing," and Akane kind of like teases him like, "Oh, come on, you can give give, give me a better reaction. You could be like, oh." Oh, you won! And then, but Jim was like, I mean, I just assumed you were going to win, which I think is an even nicer thing to say. Yeah. Uh, but he also says, you know, honestly, I was just more worried that you would snap the old man and cause some kind of scandal, like you would punch him in the gut. Um, and uh, he says, I mean, you know, he would deserve it, right? But Akane says, no. There's no point unless I use the art to convince him of his mistake. Uh, And Jimbo thinks this is kind of funny. He thinks back to, you know, when they were younger and they got into arguments and stuff. And uh, he says, you know, you really have turned from a Rakugoka's daughter into a Rakugoka. And uh, it's it's nice. Yeah. He leaves uh, and we we keep up with him for a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, he's goes to, uh, judo, uh, practice and, you know, he catches up with, uh, his instructor who says, oh, you want to do a university practice? I mean, we just finished up a competition. Uh, but Jimbo says, I mean, I didn't get past the quarterfinals, but I don't want to come up short. And his coach gets really enthusiastic about this. And Jimbo's just thinking about how Akane is excelling in her world and he wants to excel in his. This is probably my favorite detail in the entire chapter because it's like Jimbo's like not a very important character, but, you know, he's established as, you know, Akane's friend who has nothing to do with her world. 
But it's like, oh, this is, you know, an influence that Connie is having on some of the people around her. And it's very nice. I'll be honest. If this series and this series is a massive success. If it just wants to take like a couple months to be like, hey, here's a short little arc about Jumbo going to like a martial arts tournament. I'm here for it. I'll follow that entire goddamn story. I love these two. I, I, yeah. I, I think he's great. This dude's good. Yeah, they've got a very sweet, positive friendship. It's very nice. Uh, but Akane, apparently, has other friends. Man, <laughs> don't you remember them from like a cover page where we saw them from behind walking towards the school? Her big friends, Risa and Yuka. I didn't have to just look at the page to remember what their names were. <laughs> it's always been up here. Steel trap this mind. I guess it would have been um, inappropriate for Jumbo to do this part because he's not super online like these two, I guess. Uh, they run up to Akane and are like, look at this. And there is a video posted by Monthly Rakugo, the uh, magazine that, you know, who's, you know, uh, reporters we were following for the most part during the competition. And there's a post, and it's all about Akane, and they apparently recorded her performance at the Rakugo competition. Gasp! She's got a lot of quote retweets and tweets, uh, mm -hmm. so inevitably most of them are just people quote retweeting her and putting like, you dropped your clown license right here, and then all the replies are people like, yo, they beating your ass in the quote retweets, and it's, <laughs> it's like the Pink Panther, like, smoking a cigar and putting on glasses, and you're just like, why do you have this image? Also, I guess it might not be a Twitter post because the the, the video was 16 and a half minutes long. So, <laughs> I mean, you could watch like a short uh, fucking television show, I guess, there. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a nice little chapter. It's got some nice interactions in it. Uh, it's not the greatest chapter of Akane Banashi, but it is good and nice. So, yeah, I, I dug it. All right. Uh, I swear I read this chapter of Aliens Area, and then when reviewing it before we got on, I was like, oh, right, I guess this happened. I'm going to, I think, be recalling it as I'm in the process of reading, of reading it. But here we go. It's chapter number 15. All hands on deck. It's time for a meeting, which is the most exciting sounding thing in the world. Like, it's time for a meeting, guys. Oh, boy. So remember that whole thing with, like, you know, the people being burned to death and all that. So a month passes. <laughs> it's just one month later. All right. Nothing important happened. Tatsumi comes through the door saying, I passed my equipment test. So I guess that happened off screen. We didn't have time for it. Um, he approaches Shiraku and says, about your promise to focus on investigating A3 after my test, which I guess was the thing that happened. Um, yep. All right. So Shrek is like, yeah, I'm working on it right now. I applied to establish a special investigation headquarters. That's right, guys. A3 is like the single anti-alien group that has ever been talked about. And they have not had a division of their entire department ever dedicated to investigating them ever. But now they're trying to set one up. <laughs> <sighs> Red tape talk. Red tape, red tape, red tape. Shiraku says that if this doesn't get established, there's just not going to be an investigation, which sounds unacceptably irresponsible. But it's within your jurisdiction. We didn't vote to stop the meteorite coming towards us, so we're just going to see. We're just going to let it go. Not our problem. Not our monkey, not our circus. You're like, ah, 
feel like the circus is coming to town regardless of what you do, though. <sighs> Shiraku says, this isn't the first time we've had issues with A3. Then why? Why? The division previously classified A3 as a terrorist organization, even tried to make some arrests, but the investigation team ran to some trouble and all but one member died. Because of this, A3 incidents are now classified as level three incidents. So because we tried to stop A3 and didn't succeed, we're going to abandon the process instead of dedicating more resources towards it, which admittedly is a very, very very on-point representation of a government agency's approach to these matters. And this is a very government bureau- uh, bureaucracy moment, though, of them just being like, why don't we have a meeting to decide what we're not going to do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, um, but Chiraku says, but there's also the possibility that A3 is behind substance implants in humans when we had believed it was aliens, which could make this a level one incident and would require all the divisions to work together on this. And that requires an established... There's a lot going so, on There's so much going on here. All right. So it's time to meet some new characters. All people wearing black suits and ties. Uh, and including Shiraku, there are seven people here with Satsumi. Uh, and they're all just kind of boring looking dudes in black suits, honestly. Um, but then uh, more people show up, including the leaders of teams one, two, and three. I don't even remember what, what which team Shiraku is the leader of. I don't remember what number they are. I don't care. Uh, so... Um, that one of them says it takes about uh, it's about thirty minutes for a TV manga episode to finish. Uh, to which another guy says, "What's a TV manga?" Okay, um, so they're here, uh, and uh, we get oh man, there's 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 conservatives in this agency that uh, that are going to already be against uh, Shiraka's proposal, but he's already secured the proactive faction, so now. There's four people that are in favor of Shiraku's plan, three against, and then there's three neutrals. We've got to cater our message to be as much to the center as possible, because then that'll get us those swing votes. Isn't this interesting? So, uh... You know, uh, like, the chapters of World Trigger where they had to, like, talk, like, in a, like, a council meeting were, like, some of the more interesting ones? Mm-hmm. I, I have no point. I just wanted to like. Okay, okay, I just okay. wanted to remind us of that as we sat through this. Kiyotara, the Actually, guy. Know, this is a good point. I, I was recently just on an episode of Duck Face Diaries, a World Trigger mm-hmm. podcast. It's hosted by one yeah. Daniel Cheddar and Mr. Hoven. Uh, and we talked about a lot of things. And uh, Aliens Area comes up as a question I get asked about uh, in relation <laughs> to like, does it fill the World Trigger shaped hole in your heart? And the answer no. is uh, no, unfortunately. No. Uh, but it. Uh, I don't even know if it fills the aliens area shaped sized hole in my heart right now. Like I, 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 I don't know. That hole was kind of when there were no stakes at all, actually. <laughs> uh, Kiyotora, uh is, it says that he is, in fact, the survivor of the incident where a, they try to investigate A3. All of his team died except him. Uh, and he says, I don't want to burden my teammates with a similar experience. And so one of the conservatives is like, oh, so you're against it, Muro? Ain't you Shiraku's buddy? And Kiyotora says, as my team's leader, I am responsible for the protection of my subordinates. Okay. One of the others says, uh, 
this Akina woman fled A3 and went to Polaris. Who would believe such a thing? And Shiraka says, you don't find her story credible? Well, I brought someone to back her up. And he goes towards the door and opens up the door. And it's Shogo, the alien who fled with Akina. To which Tatsumi goes, huh? What? You didn't tell me about this. And Shiraka says, no, I didn't. So apparently he showed up after hearing about Akina's death. And now he's being held. And uh, and Shogo says, I don't like Foreign Affairs 5, but I'm doing this for Akina to help you catch A3. Uh, and he has information that they don't. Uh, and so, and uh, yeah, uh, one of them brings up all the resources that be dedicated to it. And he's like, I'm not going to do this. And Tatsumi's like, but we haven't even voted yet. And the guy gets mad at him. Uh, the leader of Team 3, uh, who's a woman, says, uh, stop acting inappropriate like uh, but she also says the claims are unreliable. They talk about stuff. They demand proof. Shiraku's got a folder. And he's like, well, here's a list of A3's members I found at Akina's residence. And on the list are the names of Tatsumi Tatsunami's mother and father. An implantee's parents being members of A3 sounds like a connection to me. Uh, now let's let Tatsumi talk about this. And tell us about the day he remembers the substance being implanted. Okay. So, guys... I don't want to alarm you with this thought, but I don't think Aliens Area is going to last too much longer. <laughs> uh, it's not looking great. Uh, usually when you get the hero's big backstory, it's like, oh, well, this is something we have to cover, and now we're kind of wrapping up. Uh, I don't know. Like, it's out. Can I just take, like, can I clip all the conversation we had when we got introduced to, like, the hundred, or the fucking, like, seven different members of Doron Dororon's, like, side cast in one chapter and just put it here? Because, like, it's yeah. the same thing. Like, we just met, like, a shit yeah. ton of characters who aren't relevant, but we're going to be, presumably, at some point. And yeah. Credits. Like, the series is going to run yeah. soon. Yeah. It's, it really does feel like it's like, okay, this is when we were going to like escalate things and have really important figures come in. But now we just have to do that because the series is going to be ending much sooner than planned initially. And so here they all are. And uh, I mean, like, there's just all sorts of other you know hints towards that that all come throughout the chapter. Just the very, very, very uh, up in pacing of the, the entire time scale of everything. Um, so... Uh, it, I, and the only thing that is going faster than this chapter is how quickly I am checking out of the series. Yeah. Like, so let's talk about Blue Box, Blue chapter Box. number six, chapter number sixty-nine. Inota. Uh, so Ayase is at home, uh, and she's just says randomly to 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 uh, her sister, "You think she's ever gonna get a boyfriend?" <laughs> All right. Interesting question. <laughs> um, but Karen says that, uh, you know, you know, well, she not just says she's busy with the team. Also, apparently, uh, Ayase is just like randomly invite herself into her sister's room and is hanging out on the bed, which is, yeah, she finds a little bit annoying. Makes sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ayase says like, I mean, I've been, you know, seeing her and, you know, she's like, you know, she's got guys that are just like, looking at her all the time she could have her pick of all of them if it were me i would talk to them one by one which 
sounds way more insane than talking to none of them to me. So well, that's because we're introverts, Nick. The idea of talking yeah. to multiple people sounds like a punishment in our minds. No, oh, yeah. Uh, she also brings up like, I wonder if there's anyone she likes, and Karen's like. And she's like, there is so much she likes, isn't there? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and, you know, Ossie's like, keeps on bothering her. Um, and so she's like, okay, um, I better just like gloss over it. And then that way she won't know what I know and she'll leave it alone. So she's like, yeah, um, the guy that she likes is tall and good at basketball and he's an older hottie with a wild side who's abroad at the moment so I she's like, like yeah she just she just creates a basketball player in her head and she's just like basketball people are tall right sure yeah as far as i know so i was like oh perfect match yeah uh it'd have to be a good fit for her and karen's like yeah i mean yeah okay this is better this is better is better than her actually finding out who the guy is. Literally the next day. <laughs> I fucking love this transition. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I was passing by and people were like, oh yeah, this second year who was studying abroad in America has returned to us. He's this tall kid. <laughs> and she's like, oh my god, it's a hottie who's tall and good at basketball from abroad. Perfect. Just what we were expecting. <laughs> Oh, man. And so, you know, like the, the two different sides of the basketball teams are kind of interacting with each other. And I was like, yes, he's a perfect match for her. Go for it, Chi. Um, meanwhile, you know, she's got duties she's not attending to with the with the badminton club. So freaking <laughs> Taiki's got to track her down and be like, you you haven't filled out this part of the form. Come on. Um. But uh, she starts asking, uh, they start, he, you know, it's like, oh, since what was that guy on the basketball team? Ayami, I was like talking about him and stuff. He's sure cool, huh? Even, although I'm more into Yusa because I like the cool and aloof type, which it makes sense now. So, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's aloof. Sure. Um, I do like Taiki, however, responds like, I mean, you only saw him once, so I don't know why you like him. Uh he comes by so he approaches her and they start talking about just stuff generally uh but uh, ayame is watching them while they talk and she just kind of like observes hina's reactions while they're talking to each other she's like hmm. uh and uh later on you know she as part of her duty she's taking out the trash uh, hina also happens to come outside at the same time and they kind of just like, you know, start like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the new manager. Yeah, I guess we'll see each other a bunch as we're around the gym. Hey, do you like Yunoda? It's just like the third thing that she says to her. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, he never is like, why don't you know? And, and I'm just like, oh, man, you were making such a very obviously girly face around him. I guess there's more to that guy than I thought, though, if a girl like you falls for him then. Uh, you don't have to worry. Uh, he's not my type. I'm not going to go for him. We shall see. There's only one guy of importance, romantically speaking, in this chapter that's not spoken for. So we'll see. Um, but, you know, she's very encouraging towards him. It's like, oh, you could get him. I'm sure you could you could snack him with just the littlest push. Uh, if he knew how you felt, he would totally go out with you right away. I've already told him how I feel. Wait, what? You, you told him you like him? Yeah. But I, I asked to put his response on hold because I already knew that he 
would probably never see me as anything more than a friend, but I still told him because, you know, I, I wanted to. And I was hoping, you know, if he knew that maybe he would start to see me as a, as a love interest. And he still hasn't given you an answer. No. Because he told me he didn't need to. Yes. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> this is a very intense, dark expression. I, I, what I, is wrong with you? <laughs> I do like, I do like her kind of like being like the wing man of just like, what the fuck? No, that's crazy. He's making you do all the work. Fuck this guy. Yo, fuck yeah. him. He's just taking advantage of you. And, and he's like, I mean, come on. He's like, no, you can't let him have his way. You have to grab him. Grab him by the scruff of the neck. <laughs> Which, I mean, if she is a serial dater, then I guess that this makes sense to her, sure. But she does, like, acknowledge, like, okay, I guess you're not in a very, you know, good situation. But Hina says, well, I mean, I enjoy liking Taiki. And Ayame gets, like, kind of, I guess, pitying? I'm not sure exactly how to read this reaction, but she goes, oh, that's so pure. Like, oh, you sweet summer child, basically. Um... But uh, she says, hey, you know what? I'll help you out, and I'll help make your love come to fruition. I, Ayame Moria, am on the side of any girl who's doing her best. So, it's nice that she has this confidence. Uh, we cut away from them. It's uh, The day has gone by. Taiki's walking on his way home. Chunatsu kind of catches up behind him, and she calls him by Inota. Uh, which seems to start to have like a Pavlovian response to him because I has been the only one saying it. So he goes, yeah, but, and he's upset that she has called him that. Uh, but she says, oh, you know, I think it's a nice nickname. And Taiki says, I mean, would you like it if I called you Chi? And she's like, I wouldn't mind. I mean, you can also just call me Chinatsu. He's like, well, fuck. I didn't expect that to be the way this conversation went. Yeah, it suddenly got very, very heartfelt and genuine, didn't it? And uh, But then she goes like, I'm eh, just kidding. And uh, Taiki's all embarrassed. He's like, oh, I'm just getting tucked around. Um, And then on a note that I fully admit I do not get, uh, it, Chinatsu's got a little cactus looking plant with her. Uh, which... Because Taiki like sees it and he asks about it and she goes, it's a secret. I don't get it. All right. She's going to force feed him a cactus tonight. She's going to start shoving it down his throat while he's sleeping. What we don't know about about Shinatsu. Halloween. What no one knows about Shinatsu, since she's never been in love before, is that this is how she works through her romantic feelings. She doesn't know what intimacy is, so she thinks it's thing like shoving cactuses into people's throats. And then they're like, no, you're not supposed to do it. She's like, oh, what are you supposed to do? Like, oh, go to the movies. She's like, that sounds dumb. But how does the cactus come into it? Yeah. When do I shove the cactus <laughs> down your throat? No, I mean, like, you know, like, you know, you just like, you like hold hands. And then I stab you with the cactus. No, no. Where's this cactus coming from? It's like, look. The cactus has to be used for something. I bought it. Are you sure you don't know? Are you sure you know what you're talking about when it comes to relationships? If you don't know what to do with the cactus, I mean, like, maybe we should consult someone who's got experience with this. They'll know all sorts of things you can do with the cactus, I bet. Yeah. Ninja has a good point. It's probably related to the love uh, plant growing metaphor that Shinatsu gave earlier, and cacti don't need to be watered to grow. Uh, great point. It's much funnier to think that she just thinks she has to insert a cactus somewhere, and she doesn't quite understand why nobody else seems to get this. <laughs> I could buy it with Shinatsu. She's, yeah. she's a she's a bit of an oddball. So, yeah. 
right. All right, Nick. Let's uh, move on. Let's talk about Ginka and Luna. Ginka and Luna. Everyone's favorite series. Uh, it's not my least favorite. Chapter two: Dragon Slaying. Uh, very colorful uh, uh, cover image. I really like it. Uh, so Ginka and Luna have set off on their journey. Uh, they're no longer in the mountains, so they're just kind of like looking around these bizarre fields with ver- with like hills that look like cresting waves. Uh, and they're taking in some of the bizarre animals that are around them, which are referred to as horned horses. They are not deer and they are not unicorns. They're like horses with like bull horns. It's pretty dope. And... I don't know why. I feel like I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool. Um. And there is something called a stealth weasel, which I can only describe as um, concerning. So, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, uh, Yuna is looking around just being like, what's this? What's this? What's this? And Geek is like, oh, come on, guys. You know, this is, these aren't important. These aren't anything special. Just, just move on. And, you know, let me, let me have some peace because it's the first time I'm out off of that mountain in 10 years. And Yuna's just like, well, what's that? I'm, it's not important. It's like, oh, Oh, that's a flower dragon. Holy shit. It's and they just see up on this hill what looks like a flower with a large, you know, pistol coming out of it, but the pistol is clearly like the neck of a reptilian creature. Uh and apparently this is a flower dragon. Uh and you know, oh, you know, Ginka talks about how like how very, you know, uh uh, special they are and how their bodies are used in like expensive perfumes and fragrances and stuff like that and how it's very special to get to meet one. Luna immediately rushes off to go and sniff it uh, and Giga's like, and I'm going to capture it so that I can charge people to smell it. Because Ginka apparently is motivated by wealth, which was not a trait that I picked up in the first chapter, but I guess it's part of it now. Anyway, they meet the Grand Fisher. Um, it's it's got a fishing lure thing on its head. It's something you see on you know a fair number of different kinds of monsters, and it's this big, wide-mouthed monster that greets them and it mocks them for falling into its trap as they have followed it up onto this hill, and uh, it uses its lure because it's like, hey, I'm gonna eat you guys. You should be acting a little bit scared like this, and he plays a bunch of different different images of people who have like begged it for their lives or, you know, been pleading for mercy or screaming in terror. And then he's like, oh, this is what I want to see. I love it when humans are, are terrified of me. That's why I eat them. Um, and uh, Luna just says, wait, so you've just been here for a really long time, just doing the same thing over and over again? Yes! That's really a waste. I mean, you've got wings you could fly anywhere you wanted to and you've just been eating the same things in the same place and you just think about stuff you've done in the past without doing anything new that's a waste uh and Kika says yeah if i could use that magic i turn to a rare manimal so i could make money by charging people to see again it's like it's kind of all the same thing you're saying here ginka i mean i like i get it but whatever uh so luna says oh i get what your problem is you're not skilled in magic. I could train you. Uh, the monster goes to eat her, and she uses her magic to form um, a thing that is made of sharp things and looks vaguely like a mouth. And she says, look, if you can use magic, why don't you create something you've never seen before? If you use your imagination in this vast world, there may be more fun and delicious things than eating humans. 
the monster sees this and sees how powerful she is and decides to uh, run. Uh, and Giga goes after it. Uh, in fact, he is riding on its back uh, without it having realized it, and he beats it the fuck up. Uh, and the <laughs> creature um, melts? Yeah. It's just I get it coughs up the object that is keeping it alive, basically. And as soon as it leaves its body, it suddenly it disintegrates into a skeleton. Uh, and Luna immediately gets sad because she's like, oh, I wanted to have a pet dragon to ride around on, which I think is nice. Uh, Ginka recognizes the thing that the beast has, cropped, has uh, coughed up. Uh, the two of them go into a nearby town and they eat bread, which they find to be delicious. Which, yeah, if you've never had bread, I'll bet. Um, the store owner. I've said my piece on it before. Calories, true. Uh, the um, uh, shop owner is like, "Oh yeah, but I've got to close down because there's a dragon in this area. It's been, you know, dr driving away people. All these soldiers went after it and they died. It's destroying my business. So the only thing I'm going I could do is I'm going to go and kill it. I'm going to go and avenge my wife and daughter. And they're like, yeah, we killed the dragon. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It's gone." Um, and then they just leave. Uh, and as they leave, uh, Luna's like, what, what is this place? We're in this like weird graveyard and geek refers to it as a grave of dragons. Uh, and then they come to a stop and geek says the dragon that we fought today is something I heard about a long time ago, a dragon that tricked and ate hundreds of people. And, uh, this comes into conflict with what they learned from the shop owner, which was that the dragon showed up recently, whereas Ginka hasn't been in the mountains for 10 years. But Ginka says, no, no, no. I, I've confirmed it. This matches what I remember. The dragon that has supposedly been dead for 300 years, an evil dragon recorded in literature. And they're in this grave of dragons, and there is this big empty spot that matches the shape of the skeleton of the dragon that killed before. And Ginga says, someone revived him using my body. And he holds up the little scrap that the got coughed up by the dragon. And he says, yeah, this is only a piece of my body, but it's got enough magical energy that it revived the dragon. And then he takes a moment to brag about that and be like, yeah, I'm so awesome that my magic can revive the dead, even if you've got a little fragment of it. But that's why only I should be able to wield this power. I can't have anyone else using it as they please. So now we have like a more like goal oriented uh, plot that is established in this moment. They're going to go around and retrieve the parts of Ginka's old body and help out people on the way because these parts are being used for evil. And, uh, you know, they, they say like, you know, it felt really good to, you know, learn that we had helped that guy by killing that dragon. That's, you know, what I want to do is I want to go around and I want to make people feel good. And he gets like, and I want to get paid while people thank me. So there we go. Three, three beats in the chapter. Uh, and uh, we was like, yeah. And the next time we come across something, we should take care of the problem before anyone can get sad about it. And uh, that's what they set out to do. Yeah. I mean, that's a good chapter. It establishes, I guess, a, a long-term goal that our character's going to go under. It gives us a little bit of character detail. Like, I wouldn't have guessed in the first chapter that Ginka is apparently very, very greedy, but uh, basically he's Mr. Krabs over here just like, SpongeBob me, boy! We got to make our money off of this! <laughs> we, 
I get mine, you know, and uh, I'm the world's most powerful sorcerer. <laughs> Conjure me up some money. Um, but you know, we, we get some stuff with Luna that is, you know, solid. There's a world building. It's, it's a good chapter all around. We're, we're building up on, I think, a pretty strong premise and a series I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it's solid, I would yes. say. All right, I've got a puzzle for you, Quinn. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Orange Cassidy. No. One day I'm going to do it. I'm going to get the person right. One day the, awesome. you'll just you'll just sink it. All right. Post Gen X pilgrims problems prompt purge from the premier. And so is this a group or referring to one person in particular? It's one person. Okay. Post Gen X. Pilgrims, Pilgrims problems prompt purge from the premier. This is someone losing their spot or getting kicked mm -hmm. out of the company altogether. I'm going to assume it's the former that they just lose their spot. Uh, I don't think it would be Triple H from the curtain call. This is not a... Uh, legitimate incident this is a storyline thing oh okay is it baron corbin no okay just trying to think of like who just fell on their ass and like in storyline was like you're a mm -hmm. bummy schlub <laughs> like <laughs> bummy schlub <laughs> for like six months and the, the name of i want to see a character in juice and wrestling be called bummy schlub bummy schlub <laughs> This is the, the ultimate jobber character, just bummy schlub. The slub driver. Um, post Gen X pilgrims. I'm trying to think of that. Would be post problems. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm stumped on this one. That is the millennial cowboy Adam Page. Uh, oh, okay. I get you. I the premiere, the elite. Yes. Uh, so. I was trying to think of a P word that would work with alcoholism, but I couldn't, I couldn't think of one. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There might've been one, but yeah. All right. Yeah. I like that. It's a good one. Adam Page. He's in a rough spot right now. Any who's old. Yes. So it's a PPP, PPP chapter 49. Uh, which is called Brilliant Lucky. Uh, we get some very funky color pages to start things off. Like that, this opening page is like, yeah. it's very weird. We get a lot of really cool visuals. This is uh, <laughs> this is the chapter. So, Lucky, while Sora is playing La Campanella, has just been approached by um himself saying, this is the ultimate La Campanella, <laughs> in case you wanted to know if Sora's going to win this match or not. Uh, and so Lucky looks at other Lucky and says, who are you? And the figure says, on December 21st, fraternal septuplets were born. All seven loved playing the piano, and all of them, except for me, became brilliant pianists. No, I was brilliant too. I'm the lucky Otogami who is only a few months old. You haven't been born yet. You're surprised. Is it because you're baffled I remember the past or are you baffled because you don't remember? The former would answer like this. 
I remember everything I saw, heard, and felt with my entire body. And Lucky, of course, is confused because he's being talked to by this few-month-old version of himself. And he says, how are you talking about things you never experienced? Uh, and he's like, "Like I, I can remember an experience in Channel Through Music, but what does that have to do with anything? And the other Lucky says, I have a body that can absorb experiences more than the other six. I was born brilliant. Just ask dad. He's the only one who's heard it once before. My beloved fantasy. And there's just a two-page spread of the other Lucky creepily waving back and forth and coming forward while saying beloved fantasy. This is very disturbing in my in my mind, especially because then he reaches forward and just grabs Lucky's face with his hands uh, and says, of course, this was before you came to be. Mother wasn't the one who gave birth to you. And we get a flashback to when Lucky and his siblings are very, very small. And, uh, you know, we're at the age where they were watching, you know, cartoon animals saying, be nice to everyone and don't cry. And also watching Precure characters killing demon villains. <laughs> like, which age group are you? <laughs> Nick, didn't you just flip on from Barney the fucking, like, Ronin Warriors? Because that's not yeah. my childhood went. Uh, but the other Lucky says, this world gave birth to you. You saw, heard, and felt everything this world deemed good. You learned from that and got approval. And so you were born. So essentially, by being, by seeing, you know, be nice to everyone messages and then deciding to be nice, the actual lucky came about as opposed to the primordial lucky. Uh, and there is narration that says you know education is wonderful it's necessary for evolution it's precious however for the blessed brilliance of the otogami children education was a total failure the fantasy is created through the connection between self and piano thinking about playing for others only prevents the fantasy from happening and lucky says to his other self like wait are you saying I have a split personality. And the other Lucky says, you and I are choices for this body. But ever since you came to be, this body has always chosen you. Why choose the person who lives for others when it won't create a fantasy? Why not choose the person who lives for themselves? When this body took form, I was the one who was there. So why? I've been treated like I'm dead. I hated being hidden away deep inside as the unwanted choice and always wished to be reunited with my beloved fantasy. But right now, this body is trying to choose me. The fact that you see me in the sky is proof of that. And um, a giant bell appears behind him. Yeah, well, if you listen to the finale, there's like big bells sounds that sometimes come in towards the end. Mm. I do not know the song, so 
It's a La Campanella, La Campanella. You know the song. Once you start singing it, everyone just goes along. And the bells they ring along. Everyone knows it's a classic. Sweet Caroline, La Campanella. Dong, dong, dong. This is the ultimate Campanella. Okay. <laughs> Hello, mother. Hello, father. This is my rendition. La Campanella. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> I just interrupted this like very weird internal nefarious speech for all of this. The other Lucky wants to take control of Lucky's body. All right, <laughs> sure. Lucky is fighting his in- his inner hollow, and it's because he's listening to a song. The <laughs> uh, now it's good to note here, uh, of course, the joke that you have to make in regards to this chapter. We'd be feeling our job inside of everyone. There are two Luckies. One is. <laughs> One has depression, the other one has depression, you have depression, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh this is fine. This is cool. I like the imagery. This is some cool stuff. Listen to it while listening to La Cabanella is a good chapter. Uh, it's good stuff. I'm I'm curious to see. Yeah. It's like, hey, you killed me. It's like, no no dog. I've been here all along. I'm ready to get out though. Yeah. It's uh pretty crazy and it's weird that suddenly we've got these very bizarre stakes uh, that have been introduced, but I, I mean, it is actually bringing to a head the stuff that people have had with their concerns about the new way that Lucky has been acting, and it seems like this is going to be a very important step forward for his self-actualization uh, that has kind of been building up in this most recent arc. So, yeah. All right. <clears throat> good, good chapter. It's, it's good. Uh, Tokyo Demon Bride Story, Chapter 3. A happy conclusion. So uh, our heroes are chasing after the thief that has been at large in this part of town. Uh, Jinta and uh, Ma 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 mm, mm. Naka Banaka. That's her name. Okay, uh, they are chasing down the thief. Uh, they get a good look at him and see that he's got some sort of weird mask and eyes glowing underneath it. Uh, they go racing across the rooftops. We get uh, some people talking about Jinta's abilities uh, because the uh, shop owner is talking with. It's not important. They're talking with someone. Uh, they're saying like, "Oh yeah, he's he's actually kind of a well-known local uh, high school kid who you know will just like do any job. He'll help people move a fridge that's insanely huge up a hill. He'll chase off six Dobermans in heat." Very specific. Uh, And yeah, he's just been doing that every day for three years, working like a madman, because we need to establish this is why Jinta has, you know, kind of ridiculous physical abilities for a human. He tears down alleyway after the thief. Uh, You know, we get he's like dodging around, you know, people and and stuff. Uh, He reaches out to grab at the uh, thief who just kind of leaps straight up into the air because as it turns out he's not actually human uh he is some sort of oni that i don't know the name of but he's got like a a a vase for a head uh and also like a frog tongue 
that he eats flies with. Uh, so yeah, Dinda's like, wait, you're another like weird. All right, okay. Uh, but the guy, just because the guy has like run up out of the alleyway, doesn't mean he's safe. Monaka has chased him down, and she's like, all right, gonna take you down. First skill, changing phantom spirit sword. Uh, and she slashes at him, and a bunch of uh, extensions from the walls of either side of the alleyway extend towards him, and the guy can't get away, but also there's a fly next to him, uh, and um, this causes complications, because we then get an explanation from Minaka over how her abilities work. She has uh, powers called spirit magic, and everyone has spirit magic for different purposes. Uh, there are two different types of which are acquired magic and innate magic and her innate magic spirit phantom rearranges the composition of the target but we get almost literally yeah, a case of like you know the fly the sci-fi picture where you know the guy like was gonna do some stuff but a fly flew in and gunked it up so she was just meaning to change the walls around him to trap him but uh she accidentally merged the guy's body with the fly that was next to him and so now he's got a fly head and uh he's half naked too Hooray. And Jinda says, it's like the fly. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, so Manaka's like, uh, I'm going, uh, this is just punishment for him hurting you. And Jinda's like, well, this is cruel and unusual. You, you, you should transform him back. Manaka's kind of not happy about this. Uh, but she transforms him back and she says, if you steal again, I'll kill you. And then she kicks him in the ass the way that she kicked the frog girl in the ass in the first chapter. And Jinta goes again with the kicking. Because, yes, that is indeed what has happened. She has done it twice. She's done it again. Yes. Uh, and Jinta is also concerned if anyone saw what, it hap what has happened here. Uh, uh, fortunately, it's just the shopkeep who comes along. Uh, and she kind of, like, chews them out because they got really reckless chasing down the thief. But then Jinta returns her bag to her. Uh, and she, you know, remembers uh, back when her husband bought it for her. And she's like, oh, and it still smells like his cigarettes. Thank you. Oh, no. I was just trying to lecture you. Aw, that made her feel better. Uh, Manaka and Jinta ride home on Jinta's bicycle. Uh, and Manaka talks about how, how, how there are so many good people in the human world. Uh, and uh, she says, yeah, and everyone in your family is great. And Jinta says, well, we're not blood relatives family. We're, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not technically related but we do live in the same house okay but he also says like hey you know you don't have to like think that all humans are good um and uh he also they also start to bring up like hey what's going on with your family situation and Manaka's hesitant to think about it and she just says i mean if you don't want to talk about it you don't have to because everyone's got a few things that they don't want to talk about uh there's all sorts of people out in the world. There's 7 billion people on earth and there's nothing wrong with, you know, having things that you're kind of nervous about talking about. And Manaka squeezes him tight while she's riding on the bicycle. And she's like, ah, oh, I'm in love with him. I'm going to make this work so that one day Sarjinta will love me back. Uh, and uh, then we get um, a brief flashback to when they were talking with uh, the shopkeep before. And uh, just says, oh, Manaka is with the circus troupe. And she says, I, 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 I saw everything. It's okay. I won't tell anyone. There are a lot of strange rumors going around Tokyo these days. People I know have seen weird monsters and inexplicable things happening in the shadows. The next time something like this happens, could we hire you to take care of Ajinta? 
And she's just like, you mean people would pay me money to solve the city's mysteries and fight demons? Oh, man, it brings all the problems together. So now this is why they're going to work together and be a team and take on everything and make money so that they can pay off debts and stuff. And they're riding home and Manaka is falling asleep while hugging Jinta. And that's the joke we end on. Okay. All right, Nick, here's the important question. Do we keep Tokyo Demon Pride in a recap? Please no. Um, <laughs> look, guys, it's not like I hate it. It's just that, like, oh, what did I pick up? What am I going to do with it? Like, just. I got nothing. Like, what do I got? What do I? Do you want me to talk about this? Like, I've got nothing. Like, <laughs> no, no, I do not either. I do not want to talk about this. Look, look. This is not a bad series. This is, I think, ultimately a very harmless series. I just don't have particularly anything to say about it. Uh, I think our recap is pretty full at the moment with a lot of stuff. I would only put this in here if it was something that was like, this is a wild fucking crazy train wreck, holy <clears> shit. And it's just not that right now. Like It, it just seems like it's a fine kind of low-stakes series. So um, I would just say enjoy it if you dig it. We didn't really, so I don't think we're going to talk about it. Yeah, I think that sums it up. That's I don't have anything else to say. Goodbye, Tokyo Demon Bride. I'll never think of you again. Yeah. legitimately it might be one of the more forgettable series in recent memory because it's just yeah anyways uh let's move on to mashal magic and muscles chapter 124 order metal in the circus of death hey nick it's a chapter about order <laughs> order metal fighting famine <laughs> both these dudes suck <laughs> so yeah uh, yeah we start with famine who's like i want your glasses orders like you can't have them i need them to see kind of funny uh Feynman throws like a playing card. It knocks Order's glasses off, and he's like, "All right, I see your game." And he picks it up, and his eyes are all like squinted. And he's just <laughs> like, "That did it. You're gonna really regret picking a um, fight with me." I'm gonna get you now. <laughs> and it's kind of amusing because it's like, uh, he's so only, serious. It's the only time we've seen like a joke out of this character, really. Uh, Feynman's of course like, "I'll just kill you and take it for myself." And then they do the Arcana fight from Yu-Gi-Oh! Battle City, where they strap... It really is, yeah. They strap things themselves, and they're like, it's going to attack both of us. Uh, but then, of course, the one guy can kind of cheat. Anyways, uh, there's a big clown face that's going to shoot out knives, basically. Uh, they fire some attacks. Uh, there's a couple of gags that kind of go in and act. We don't really have uh, a ton of time to talk about all of them, but... Uh, one thing that notices is orders like, oh, he gets like stabbed by a bunch of cards. He's like, how did those cards come out of my body? He blocked my spell with his hands. Motions alone. What is his trick? This doesn't make sense. Uh, and they start to have like a philosophical debate, essentially. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Famine's just like, you decide to observe my actions. How rational and boring. I don't like losers like you. We should all be free and crazy. Take what we want and kill the people we don't live a happier life. Your way is boring. And then orders like, you know, uh, you want freedom to live without rules and do as you please. Doesn't make any difference to me. Humans are emotional creatures. This isn't our niche to be all rational and whatnot. But, you know, gotta do it, I guess. You know, 
if you want to do it, accept your consequences. Basically, and many people have said it, it's sort of like what happens when a lawful evil character runs into a chaotic evil character where they're just mm-hmm. like, both of us suck, but we have different ways of going about it. Yeah. I mean, like, Order, in the way that he frames his uh, argument, is like, yeah, he's right. You know, the Order is there so that, you know, there are consequences when people just do whatever they want. But of course, we know that the way that, the you know, the Order that Order, you know, is supporting is exploitative and is uneven. So it's bad still. So... So, but you know, it's it's nice that that we have this establishment of like this is what how not they're not just you know like wildly different magical people. It's like they also have wildly different thoughts on life and stuff. So it's 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 an extra layer. All right, so we get uh, the revelation that famine shoots another attack. Order blocks it with some sand. He's like, "Aha! Invisible card. Your power is invisibility. It's it's a mere parlor trick." And then a bunch of knives are stabbed at him. He's just like. He was prepared to take the damage. They go for a little bit of a back and forth. And he's just like, you know what? You're right in that you're not boring. But you're a long way from talking about freedom if that's how you play by the rules. Because he basically kind of like cheats and like unshackles mm-hmm. himself to get out of it. And Famine, uh, I forget the character who this reminds me of, but he has a very detailed face all of a sudden. And he's just like, ha, ha, ha. All you do is talk about boring stuff. And if you don't like a rule, you should break it. But you seem to like being tied down, even if it's choking you to death. So the chapter ends with the two of them about to square <laughs> off. It both looks like they're activating their their bonkais. We don't get like the names of it, uh, but we we see their staffs kind of appearing. Yeah, the appearance of Famine's face and all that detail and stuff is suddenly it's like very suddenly disturbing. Uh, I dig it. So, but yeah, it's a it's actually a really straightforward shown in battle chapter for the most part, as far as match was concerned, but. On those terms, it was pretty good, I thought. Yeah. All right. It's uh, the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 78. I believe the chapter title is Weapons, but it comes much, much later. Uh, we get like kind of just the opening beats of some of the fights that are going on. Uh, Ayako uh, going up against uh, the um, weird waifu armor guy. Uh, and... The way that he phrases things, it's actually kind of cool because he explains like why he does what he does. He goes around to and like meets women that are, you know, appealing in different ways and then adds their traits to the girl that he idolizes, Suruko, who is his goddess that he just freely admits like he made her up. But he says, you know, she is perfect because she doesn't exist, and so she has no limit. And so I endeavor to be worthy of her. And so by admiring her, I also have no limits. It's like, all right, that's I, I like that flavor of shonen bullshit. I'll take that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, then get uh, the fight between Mochizuki and um, creepy guy. <laughs> that's all I'm good. Uh, who has been chopping through his his trees as he's been trying to use them to attack him just because he's got a giant sharp sword. And we get an explanation for, hey, you know, there was this, uh, you know, the Mongol invasions of Japan stuff introduced all these bizarre weapons that had never been seen in Japan before. And so they were, these new weapon designs were combined with, you know, Japanese swordscraft to create new weapons. It was almost like a shonen manga, which, by the way, it's one of my pet peeves. Dear Magaka everywhere who write shonen manga, stop saying this is just like a shonen manga. Stop that. 
I, like, I don't need to watch a movie and have people go, this is just like a movie. I don't need any of that ever. If you are talking about them talking about a medium different than your own, then that's fine. But don't point something out that is supposed to just be in line with the medium that you're creating. It doesn't make any sense to have it be pointed out because it shouldn't be exceptional for showing up. Anyway, yes. uh, they're fighting. Uh, they exchange barbs and the Iwamatsu, the evil guy, is like, I'm going to do bad things to women. And uh, then we move <laughs> So... Uh, <laughs> Just, anytime he talks, I'm just going to replace it. He says he's going to do bad things to win. Pretty much. His dialogue, he's becoming very Flanderized, yeah. yeah. Uh, then finally, we cut over to Tokiyuki and uh, Kojiro, who are squaring off against... God, I forget his name. There's so many new characters that have been introduced in this army. Uh, and he's pissed off that uh, he's got to you know have this unfair fight that they're going up against. Uh, some of the Hojo forces cut people off from er, rein, from reinforcing Shibukawa, that's his name. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, the uh, uh, the strategist, Shiba, kind of analyzes the situation, sees that Shibukawa has been cut off from everyone. And uh, he's just like, okay, normally you're a Shige if something were risky to the child emperor would not allow it to happen. So they must be up to something. And so they asked, like, well, what should we do? And he's just like, the fight will proceed, and so shall I. So I do kind of like this moment because it's like, okay, we just want to establish, like, this guy is smart, so we'll just have him actually accurately analyze things. It's, 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 a, it's nice. Uh, there's a cool moment as uh, Shibukawa engages uh, the kids, swings his long-ass daikatana at them, uh, and there's a cool dodge, like Spider-Man, almost looking where Tokyo does a freaking backflip to get out of the way of one of the attacks. Uh, and uh, it's very dangerous, but of course, Tokiyuki is really, really excited by the battle. Kojiro uh, signals to him through like baseball style, like sign language and gestures. Yeah. It's very intricate, the message that he delivers. Um, and he's like, come on, do the thing that we prepared to do. And Tokiyuki's like, I mean, it's a really weird, rude thing to say, though. And Kojiro's like, you've got to do it. You've got to be the one to say it. So Tokiyuki's like, okay. And he looks really bratty for a moment. And he says, oh, you're swinging that blade all slow, Shibukawa. Does fighting two people make you tremble? I guess that's why you prefer single combat. You're just a coward. So their plan to take on the guy who gets really, really powerful when he's angry is to make him really, really angry. We'll see how this goes. It'll go great, I'm sure. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. There's a lot of things going on right now in the arc, and um, I'll be honest, I thought the honor guy and the weird anime guy were the same person, so that was, that was <laughs> the factor. I was like, oh, they're two different people with two different things going on. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 enjoyable, I guess. Yeah, if it weren't for that armor, you would not ha you would have a little bit of a difficult time telling them apart. Their faces look the exact same, so... All right, let's move right. on to Black Clover, page 338. Black Clover! On a foreign road. Ness is like, what out this place? Whoa! How did I get back here? Uh, and everyone, he's just like, whoa, what the fuck? Ryu of Yoda? What, what are you? What's a shogun? I don't know what the fuck that is. And he's just like, yeah. it's basically our country's wizard king. And he's like, oh, but I, I can't sense any magic in you. He's like, yeah, I ain't that tough. And Asta's like, yeah, you don't 
seem all that strong to me. And the girl who was in the chapter previously kind of just glares at Asta and is like, is this what happens when I let you talk? I'm going to break your face. She doesn't say that. She's a lot more polite. But she, does, she just gives a look like, I want to fucking rip off your jaw and shove it up your rectum. I hate you so much. She's got some great energy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Asta's just like, oh, man, she's really mad. Her key did seem sort of like that, but... What is it? She seems really familiar and also really dangerous. And Ryota's just like, oh, you know, hey, look, you're in this foreign country. You want to do a little sightseeing, take your mind off some things. So they go around looking and they show like, hey, here's how this country's different. They have magic scrolls or books, too. But there's the scrolls that come out. And, you know, this is how they do it. They use yojutsu and their magic over there would be called your yoku and it's like oh it's very different oh look at this dish it's all very very different than asta says. i mean i mean i will admit like there is a panel where asta says there's all sorts of stuff i've never seen in the clover kingdom and i was fully prepared for there to be like very unexceptional stuff but it's like no no this is all stuff that would be completely foreign to him it does look very yeah. different from what we've seen before i'm gonna credit yeah, yeah. And then asta sees a child uh, with presumably their mother being led about and he imagines himself or he he reminisces to a moment where it was sister kind of walking him and you know around like that which does seem to indicate asta himself recognizes the weird implications of him having a romantic feeling towards his own uh mother figure but we, you know we don't have time for that uh, he just is trying. It kind of honestly recontextualized a little bit this weird fixation that Asta has had this whole time. To Asta has had this older sister figure for since he was a kid, and it makes me think that the attraction he's had towards her has just been him never getting past the a little kid saying, "When I grow up, I'm gonna marry you," kind of thing. Which, which at a certain age is just kind of like, oh, that's cute. But it's like, you're a grown-ass man now has to let it go. Stop it. Uh, of course, this is a way for him to like remember the kind of trauma that was going on, but we don't have time to deal with that. Uh, Ryota mm -hmm. is like, hey, you two, come over here this way. And as they have, like, as they do that, like, there's a giant explosion that occurs and a bad guy comes through the bad news badgers who say donate it's your great. food and valuables <laughs> if you don't want to die. And uh, they're like, holy shit, that's crazy. And they're like, oh, no, Ryuta, are you, did they get hurt? And they see that they're actually both fine. Ryuta's there and he's like, you, you go on out of here, little scamps. And Ash is like, wait, miss them by chance? No, he moved them to a spot where they'd be safe, like what's going on and the bad news bandits guys just like who are you and he's like ah i don't think there's anything to worry about here as you can tell i got no your yoku nasta's like the fuck but uh ichika who we now find out is the name of the girl or maybe that was mentioned last week i don't remember she's just up and she's like oh i'm sorry about this but they're all yours and, of course, he's a bandit. He's just like, oh, you're going to send little girls after me? You better entertain me real good. And she just, like, activates. Like, there's just magic that channels through her. She's just like a little palm move. And then essentially does, like, a monk special move in a fighting game or something like that. Just, like, in a moment, like, strikes all five of these guys or all four of them, like, instantaneously and sends them flying against the wall. And everyone just starts cheering. They're like, yeah, one of the Ryus in seven. Yeah, well done, Lady Yami. And it's just like, Yami, wait, hold on. Don't tell me. And she grabs him by the face. It's like, <laughs> fucking touch me. 
And Ryota interrupts to say, yeah, Chika is Yami's kid sister. If you want to get stronger, have the Ryus and Seven train you. Lord Ryuya is being kind to you, but I can't stand men like you. And Nasa's just like, Captain Yami's little sister. Uh, I hope her gimmick is she never poops. That's why she's so angry. Because she is constantly I have a bowel disease. She is constantly holding it in. It is wild. I am ultra constipated. (laughs) This is a very good chapter. It's like it's got just the right amount of like teases and reveals and stuff. I really love like the thing that this is a really cool way to just have a character show up and just instantly be cool. It's like, okay, here she was in one chapter. She's kind of in the background. The next chapter she shows up, shows up and she's just like the coolest thing ever. Uh, I love the way that her technique is depicted where the back, back background around her goes completely black. I like the way that you get to see like these simultaneous images of her striking the four bandits. The follow through image is really cool. And it's like, that's awesome. And then it's like, all right, cool. And we also get some more stuff with Ryudo I like that you know there's just these kind of like he doesn't have supernatural strength or anything but just the ability to predict things is still is still very useful and I think that's a very clever way of of you know just demonstrating that by like even before anyone knows there's any danger he just kind of quietly moves someone so that they won't get hurt it's all really good stuff uh-huh. good stuff all right all right that's going to bring us to One Piece, chapter 1060, Luffy's Dream. And uh, we get a big two-page color spread with all the straw hats posing together. Yay! Also, there is a bear skin rug, I think. It is worth Or maybe it's an actual bear. It, I believe it is a, uh, a bear. Uh, it is worth noting this is a revamp of a color, mm-hmm. not a title page, but like a coloring thing Oda did, like... God, be fucking like twenty. A long time ago, yeah. (laughs) It was it was was before Chopper joined the crew to give context. Like it was just the five original Straw Hats. So it's been a while. Yeah, and uh, some of the Straw Hats look like they're kind of in their old appearances because like Frankie's hair is different. Meh, whatever. Frankie sometimes has that hair, but yeah. Uh, so Luffy has just gotten word about Sabo that he had supposedly killed uh, uh, King Cobra, which he is in denial over. And everyone's like, yeah, it does seem kind of weird uh, about this. Um, and also Vivi, of course, has gone missing. Luffy wants to go to Alabasta. Uh, and Zoro's like, I mean, King Cobra's already dead. So what are we going to do? And Vivi's gone. She's not there. Where are we supposed to go? She's gone to Mary Joa. And Luffy's like, well, then let's go to Mary Joa. And, you know, he's clearly just like being impulsive and not thinking about anything. Uh, Caribou, of course, is still spying on them from a barrel that none of them seem to be concerned about it moving around. So, um, and, you know, Zoro's trying to like just talk some sense into Luffy. Just be like, come on, you know, where, where do you want to do? You want you want to fight the entirety of Navy headquarters? Sanji is is really concerned about vivi in his own way uh chopper is really upset that vivi's dad is dead i was like oh uh and uh so you know and you know some of the others are just like talking about like what's going on uh and uh nami starts to freak out too but eventually Zoro says guys all of you knock it off luffy remember what you said when this happened to ace and we get a flashback to a long time ago to when Luffy just said, yeah, Ace has his own adventures. And Zoro says, look, 
until the moment when Ace was in undeniable danger, you just let Ace live his own life. You don't think Vivi can figure it out for herself? She's a strong woman. Aww. It's the first time uh, Zoro has seemingly ever respected a woman. <laughs> Usually he's just like, yeah, I mean, I can cut them down in moment's notice. And honestly, the very threat that I probably would be enough for them to surrender themselves, and perhaps their entire lives, but still... Oh, this respect women juice is very sour. I don't like it. I don't think I'll drink it anymore. <laughs> I hate this. I want to go back to just demeaning them. <laughs> what? That Tashigi girl thinks she's my rival? What the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> she grew boobs. Once they do that, they can't be swordsmen anymore. I learned this when I was eight and I never stopped learning it. <laughs> they can't handle stairs. They just get top heavy and topple over. <laughs> They're so off balance. They're giant breasts. <laughs> That's why I demanded <laughs> that's why I demanded that Frankie install all these ramps. I'm worried about Nami and Robin. <laughs> I, honestly, he should be with the proportions <laughs> they're given at times. Uh, Robin is still going through the newspaper and she, you know, just kind of like summarizes some of the information we were fed over the last several chapters. I like how Luffy, even through all of the, the worry about Vivian stuff, he's just like, why the fuck is Buggy an emperor? <laughs> <laughs> he's right there with us. But Luffy, he's just like us. Yeah. Um, and uh, she also says, "I there's also some like more names with some connection to you. Do you want to know about them? And Luffy says, Oh, just tell me if it's really bad. And Robin says, okay, I'm, I'm sure you've had your, your fill of the news today. Uh, Luffy. I'm waiting for the moment where he shows up. Be like, Mihawk and Crocodile. She's like, I didn't think you wanted to do that. Oh, you know them? Yeah. I didn't I didn't know you knew them. You were there when we met Crocodile. <laughs> you were on his team. That was a pretty significant event in our relationship. No, no. I think that you're thinking of Miss All Sunday. I am. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and Luffy just says, like, look, Sabo did not do that. Like, he grew up in a home that controlled him. He just wants everyone to be free. Uh, I swore an oath to him and Ace, just the three of us. I wanna... And everyone reacts to whatever the fuck Luffy says. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Like uh, there are all it, sorts of. I like that it first looks like the thousand sun. He's like, what? It does. <laughs> what? What the fuck is this kid what talking about? Say? Huh? Mm. Uh, there are various reactions of shock and disbelief. Uh, both Frankie and Brooke uh, find it so ridiculous that they just like cry laughing. Sanji also laughs. Uh, Robin is stunned into silence. Uh, and eventually Usopp just says like, Kron, you know that's not possible. And Luffy says, Maybe it is once I'm the king of the pirates. Uh, and then he says, but did I never tell any of this before? <laughs> it seems kind of important. I'm not sure because I didn't hear it, but it seems kind of important. Um, and but uh, Usopp's just like, I mean, it can't happen, though. Uh, and so Luffy's like, I guess the only people I've told are Shanks and Ace and Sabo then. So, hmm. Uh, and all of them apparently laughed when they heard about it, too. And, but then Luffy says, and that's all at the end of my dream. And uh, more positive reactions. Jimbe is like laughing in disbelief now, too. And he's like, wow, I, I mean, look, I'm part of your crew. I got to take this seriously. Uh, and uh, yeah, just a bit more like reactions to stuff. And then they bring up, OK, 
there's one more rogue pineglyph that we need to find so that, you know, we can find one piece and get to laugh down and all that stuff. But Robin says, they, they mean, don't make it sound so simple. The last poneglyph is the one that no one's been able to find for a very long time. And there are no clues to its whereabouts. Wow, there's a lot of excitement and intrigue going on. I'm glad the rest of the chapter is smooth, easy sailings. Presumably, <sighs> I haven't read it yet. I can just presume that nothing, nothing wild happens in these next uh, nine pages. All right, let me see if I can name these characters. So... <laughs> You don't have we to name the members of the mm, fucking five stars or whatever. The, the, no, no. So we cut to the Navy headquarters and they're intercepting the message between Sabo and the Kamabaka Queendom where the other rebels are. Uh, and uh, so they're like, okay, there's, there's, okay. Uh, they're tracing the call and they trace it to the kingdom of Lulugia, which, you know, some of the leaders like, Oh my word! That's one of the eight countries that revolted the other day—the perfect place for Sabo to be hiding. Hmm, an unlucky man. No, it is simply destiny. So they're not doing anything in reaction to this. They just know something is going to happen. Uh, so we cut to the conversation between Sabo and then those that are with Dragon, and of course he says. I, I didn't assassinate King Cobra. <laughs> shocker, shocker, I know. Uh, but he also says, when I was in Mary Joa, I saw something terrible. What was it? It's so fucking funny because there's this big dramatic tension and obviously Sabo doesn't instinctually know it's happening. But as an audience, you're just like listening to like the most exaggerated build up to like, I was there and I saw a thing, an awful thing, the worst thing anyone could ever see. And I saw it in that room, that room where the worst thing in the world ever happened. It was terrible. That thing in the room that I saw. Awful. Terrible. And when I tell room. you, and when I tell you what happened in that room, the terrible thing that I saw, when I tell you, you will not believe it. I'm going to tell you soon, the thing, soon. You can't wait for me to tell you. Bated breath, anticipation. What's that in the sky? I, I'm, so, about, yeah, I'm about to tell you right now. Oh, it looks like it's going to rain. <laughs> <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Clouds gather over the kingdom of Lulugia, where Sabo indeed is. And people also are like, what the fuck is that that's hovering above us? Uh, we also see that um, the people have revolted and yeah, the royal family is on side. I don't know why we're introduced to these people. <laughs> they get little introduction boxes. This is the kingdom of Lulugia's King Seiki and the princess Komani. Like, why are we bothering? Why are we bothering it's, to learn these names? I mean, for one, they're trivia questions down the line sometime. Uh, but two, it's also, I hate this. <laughs> it's also, I guess, to show that there that like the revolt happened recently, and that's why right. this, this country decided to be like fuck the world government. Sabo starts to say, "The empty throne and Pangaea Castle." And as he's saying this, we see the shadowy figure that was, you know, occupying the throne. And there is just someone says, "Communications cut off the transponder snail," and someone. X's out the kingdom of Lelugia on a map and suddenly communications go quiet 
as Sabo's trying to say, the throne that's supposed to remain forever empty because there's no king of the world actually has. And then a voice rings out saying, communications, listen to me. You did not detect anything today. You did not intercept anything. The kingdom of Lelusia, that country, never existed in the first place. And fucking lasers rain down from the sky and decimate the whole ass island. <laughs> it's so fucking badass and awful at the same time. You're like, holy shit. Yeah, so apparently the figure who secretly leads the entire ass world government can just go this island doesn't exist and can blow it up at a moment's notice cool uh this would seem to indicate a lot of things like this this definitely seems to play into like the void century and a lot of things like this is what the world government does when something opposes them this way and threatens its security it just erases you from existence it's just like what country you want some of this yeah, not only does this not exist, but the entire island it was on never existed. <laughs> so, uh, and seemingly, uh, this causes such devastation that a freaking a- tsunami kicks up as a result of it. So that happens. Uh, and yeah, the rebels are like completely cut off from Sabo uh, because the island he was on blew up. Yeah. I'm sure he's fine. Uh, <laughs> yes, he probably is fine. <laughs> Oh man, that island blew up. The, the guy blowed up. Oh, that Sabo's fine. Uh, so, Rump. Uh, very quickly, we just move on from this. It's days later. We're back with with uh, the the Straw Hats on the Thousand Sunny. They are making their way through ridiculous uh, weather patterns. There is snow battering around their ship as they're making their way through huge waves. There's just a giant eel in the background. Just mind its own business. It's fine. Um, and everyone's in winter outfits, including Chopper, who's got uh, a woven hat that he got from from Otama, and he looks really cute in it. Uh, so uh, it's nice. Uh, and he's like, "I'm gonna go up, go go check this out." And I've got this hat, so I won't have to worry about snow. <laughs> uh, however, um, Luffy spots. A quote, enormous warm eddy, as identified by Nami, because the massive warm water that got heated somewhere is now being pushed upward so much that it is bursting up out of the ocean itself. Uh, so Nami, you know, calls out to Jinbei saying, Oh, yeah, we've got to get away from it before we get sucked in. But Luffy spots someone inside the water. Uh, and Sanji agrees. I can hear a lady screams. Sure you can, buddy. Uh, so they're like, okay, but how do we get the person out of there? What do we do? So I was like, we cut it open. Boom. <laughs> Just like, doesn't even pause when Sanji's like, don't hurt the girl in there. What? Um, and, um, we cut that open. Chopper uh, is like, hey guys, what's all the fuss? Don't worry, Woven Hat Chopperimon is on the scene. Ah, it's blown away because it's, like it's gone it, away. It's great that in a chapter where an entire nation was eradicated from the world, there's still this cutesy moment of like Chopper and his big hat coming out and be like, hey guys, what's going on? Ah! Getting carried off by the fucking wind. So Chopper gets blown away by the wind uh, at the same time that they spot the woman that has come out of the warm eddy 
Little kid form jewelry body. Holy what? shit. Body's back in the series. Nick, that might be regular age jewelry Bonnie, and the adult one is aged up jewelry Bonnie. Who knows? Entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, jewelry Bonnie is going to be. Look, at this point, if this was a new character, I almost would have started punching things and I'd be like, you're supposed to be wrapping this up, you son of a bitch. <laughs> We're supposed to be closing loose ends, not opening up new ones. Three years? Bullshit. <laughs> Eat my entire fucking ass, you hack. Um, so it's good. Uh, this is like a crazy awesome chapter of One Piece. Just so many details. That, like the moment of that country just being erased is something that's just gonna stick with you like it's it's just an amazingly powerful visual of just like fuck dude these guys are evil as shit uh what what country quinn that's true uh, you know what there yeah. wasn't even like uh, like it was weird this chapter started yeah. with them on the boat and then it just cut to them on the boat in a different location it's just yeah, weird nothing happened like yeah. something in the middle yeah. uh really good stuff i'll bet however that if uh, that uh if we um uh Oh, never mind. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, I was I was misremembering something happened. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bonnie's back in the series. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> the, how long has it been since she was around? I think we only saw her like during a snatch of like the montages during the time skip, basically. Uh, no, so. I mean, we saw her. She was in the reverie. Uh, we saw her there. Oh, that's right. She was sneaking around. And, that makes sense. Okay. That was suggested yeah. there was some connection between her and Kuma. So we, we, we have seen her a little bit since then. Okay. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week, guys. We're going to say what the, our favorites were. Uh, favorite series and MVP. What do you got? Yeah, my favorite series this week was One Piece. One Piece was just really, really good. Okay. Uh, I am going to say... It was for me. Actually, I really liked Black Clover this week. Honestly, okay, uh, I just really love the pacing of it uh, and the reveals and the little teases that we get. Uh, so yeah, I'll do with that. Uh, my MVP. I'm debating with uh, Yami's sister because it was like a good introduction to her. But I feel Ichiga. Like, yeah, Ichiga, I feel like I have to go with Sun from Undead Unlock. I mean, the dude. Like, there's a whole-ass moment of a repeat, like, of fucking Fuko being like, holy shit, is he attacking? Or like, nah, my... He just stood up. <laughs> he just stood up. <laughs> That's how cataclysmically powerful this guy is. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm tempted to go between a couple of different options. Um, there was, yeah, some stuff that happened in Black Clover that I thought was cool. Um, I also want to give some recognition to the other Lucky uh, in PPPPP. Uh, P. Uh, but uh, I'm going to actually go with Jumbo from Akane Banashi. I just like the little moment that he has with Akane, and then he's like, you know what? I, I, I've got to try harder because I want to keep up with her. It's cool. That's so. fair. Uh, I, of course, am the voice of the people, as always, echoing the audience picks of One Piece and Sun as uh, MVP. Uh, Nick, no one agreed with you. I don't think anyone picked <laughs> Absolutely no one. <laughs> Uh, Everyone's like Black Clover sucked, Nick. I'm looking. I'm trying to find if anyone matched with you. Was there any Black Clover picks this week? No. What a f- no. What a there freak was one. Nick. You know what? You know what? Kaniku fan. You and Kaniku fan. Oh damn it! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Kaniku fan. <laughs> 
All right, guys, that is going to do it for Weekly Mog Recap. Thank you for tuning in and joining us. We record the show here on twitch.tv slash RoloT Wednesdays, normally starting at about 7.30 Eastern time. But to stay up to, updated on exactly when the show is going live, follow us on social media at WMR Podcast, at RoloT, and at Nick F Time, our accounts on Twitter. You can also join the Discord server for Weekly Manga Recap. Participate in bi-weekly uh, game nights uh, with our wonderful community. You can also use it to discuss new chapters as they come out, the recommendation that we're currently taking, and also you can make your own recommendations by using it to find the Google Doc maintained by Ninja XBI, which keeps track of all sorts of wonderful statistics associated with the history of the show. Uh, and uh, polls for like uh, viewer uh, categories for year-end awards and all sorts of fun stuff. We would also like to thank everyone who supports us so far on patreon.com slash weekly manga recap, which allows us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We would like to thank Steve Mann, our title artist, whose work you can see on some of our episodes, the video versions on youtube.com slash weekly manga recap. And you can find more of his work on twitter.com slash Steve Mann art and generally wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the Internet. And we would also like to thank Winsleydale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz. Uh, who is, of course, uh, featured on the uh, World Trigger podcast that Quinn mentioned earlier. Uh, it's uh, the Duckface Diaries. I always have to remember, I was like, it's a weird name. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good name. We had a great discussion. We go over the chapter where Tomacoma 2 wins the B-Rank War match uh, at the end with uh, Ninomiya Squad, and it's such a great moment. Really, really it's like, such going a good moment. Again, I was like, fuck, dude, this may be like a top five anime, like manga moment for me. It's so good. Absolutely. So if you want to hear everyone gush over that awesome moment in World Trigger history, go listen to that. What if I told uh, you one person hated it? They don't. But what if I told you one person really what if hated it? That would get really interesting. You check it out, right? <laughs> just absolute lies over like like those YouTube thumbnails that are just like really, really misleading. <laughs> I'm not going to say that Chris Hemsworth shows up on this podcast. <laughs> but I'm not saying he doesn't either. So and I'm going to, like, when the Duckface Diary thing comes out, if I just put, like, a red circle in, like, a corner, people are like, <laughs> I have an hourglass in it. I, I, I got to check a lot of things out. Maybe he is there. Uh, we're get, we got, we can't do, we can't start a wrestling tangent now. The episode's ending. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. We're out of here. Well, next week, we're coming back to talk about uh, Get Backers, Nick. Are you ready to get back? Some get backers. I, I have such a hard time reading this manga. <laughs> what are you talking about? Every minute's a throw ride. I, I, I like. I read it and then I'm like, I could just be reading literally any other manga. Right now. The, the series where you read it, you're like, I have finite moments left in this world. <laughs> My consciousness won one day, and I'm spending a lot of time devoted to this. Uh, what happened? Well, they had kind of a boring fight, and then they harassed a woman. Uh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, stay tuned, guys, for next week as we wrap up Sadistic September, and then things might get a little bit spooky. Also, Chris Hemsworth might be on the episode next week. You're just going to have to tune in and listen to find out. Yes. He might be. He might be.